Broadcasting from deep in the Eublifaris galaxy, on a small planet called Gekonia, east of the albino hills and south of the raging leucistic river, comes the one, the only, Gecko Nation Radio. Uh, what's up, everybody? Uh, today is June 29th, 2014, and uh, I hope everybody's enjoying this beautiful weather that we're having. And uh, coming up soon, we have uh, 4th of July weekend. Looking forward to that. Um, going to be looking forward to a good summer here, and especially with all the babies hatching and the eggs being laid. I don't know about you guys, but my female leopard geckos are still laying eggs like crazy. I was expecting them to slow down a little bit by now, but <laughs> it's just, you know, and I got juveniles that are coming of age, and I guess they're getting set off by the females that are ovulating, so they're starting to ovulate, and some of them are ovulating early, which stinks, because, you know, I wanted to breed them this year, and uh, so now I have to wait till next year, you know, the struggles of being a, a gecko breeder, but, uh, you know, can't have everything that we want, of course, but, uh, but anyway, we have a great show tonight. Uh, tonight we have Jordan Russell. Uh, Jordan Russell is doing some incredible, incredible things for the community, especially raising money for USR. And, oh, my God, I don't know what he's totaled up yet uh, by now, but we're going to hear from him, and it's thousands of dollars. I think he's definitely done well over a hundred grand uh, raising money for USR. And uh, we're going to be doing something very special tonight. For Gecko Nation radio fans and listeners, we have a week left to get into this latest raffle. Okay, so you guys can go on the RAACA uh, page and uh, the site and buy your tickets, okay, buy your raffle tickets. And the way it's going to work is, and we'll explain more about it during the show tonight, is what I'm going to need you to do um, is save a screenshot of your ticket. Okay, it's like an electronic ticket that you get when you pay for it, okay? And you can PM me that screenshot or email it to me, whatever you prefer, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep track of them. And everybody that does that for me, that's a listener of Gecko Nation Radio, um, I'm going to enter, we're going to enter into a separate raffle, okay? In addition to the one that you're going to be buying your ticket for, you're also going to get into my raffle. And my raffle is going to be a little bit more special, and you're going to win two things, okay? You're going to win a really cool gecko for me, which I haven't figured out exactly which one I'm going to give up, but it's going to be something very nice. And Jordan is going to be giving a full website. Uh, it's got the, you know, everything included, okay? It's got the, you know, I don't know too much about websites, but you get the hosting and you get the actual site elements and everything that you need to start your, your hurt business, Okay? And you can go on breedersource.com and you can see exactly how those websites are made up. And that's the separate raffle. So in order to get into that raffle, you guys have to buy at least one ticket from our from RAACA, okay, to support the US ARC fundraiser. But uh, we'll talk more about that when Jordan comes on. Uh, tonight I am joined by uh, not only a new sponsor to the show, but also someone that I consider a new good friend and someone that is going to be just an amazing uh, contribution to the community and is already an amazing gecko breeder, Mr. Daryl Burton. 
from none other than Longhorn Geckos. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, Dave, how you doing? Thanks for those kind words. Absolutely, my friend. How are you tonight? Oh, I can't complain. It's a good Sunday here, about 100 degrees, so uh, all is well. Oh. oh, I would complain about that. 100 degrees, that's too much for me, man. <laughs> yeah, it's that time of the year for us in West Texas. Uh, well, you know, you showed me a picture. You texted me a really beautiful picture this week of of a horned toad lizard. Why don't you tell us a little bit about that real quick? Yeah, actually, uh, what was that? That was on Friday. Uh, Kate and I, he went to work with me, and, uh, of course, I work out in the country, and and we happened to stumble across the female horny toad running across the ground. And of course, we picked it up and looked at it and all that. Uh, we've mm-hmm. got... You know, two or three different different subspecies out here of the horned toads, and that was Carnutum, the one that I sent you. A real nice one, had lots of yellow on it. Um, you know, yeah. grays and yeah, browns and yellow and orange flecks, and of course she 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 appeared to be gravid too as well. So we put her back mm-hmm. down and let her go on her merry way. But uh, a really, really, really neat horny toad. Yeah, I love them. I'm just, they weren't uh, so- so hard to keep. I think they would be much more popular in the trade. Well, you know, I mean, exactly. Uh, they're they're very different. Um, uh, you know, of course, they primary diet of ants. I think they eat other things as well. But you know, here in Mostly Texas, ants. they're protected. Yeah, here in Texas, mm-hmm. they're protected, so we can't keep them. And uh, you know, we go through spells. I'll go. I'll go years, or sometimes it seems like, and not see one, and then. And then this year's been been good. You know, we've had a drought for a while, and we've had a little bit of rain here in the last month, and I've seen several. So, uh, so they're still alive and well and kicking, thank goodness. But, but yeah, I think yeah. the fire ants that have invaded Texas has has really cut into their population because the fire ants will kill them. Uh, they're not used to those. So, they're, so the fire ants are new to Texas. Yeah, they got imported several years ago on plants, you know, in potted plants, and oh, then uh, in places in places where there's enough moisture, uh, you know, they'll survive. And uh, mm. uh, you know, like in your yard and stuff, where you water and there's enough, you know, enough moisture, they'll survive. But if it's hot and dry, they won't make it. So you see them a lot around here in, in my part of the world in, on golf courses and parks and people's yards not that many out in the out in the country so but but yeah they're terrible i mean very very you know they're they're just terrible i i we hadn't had them that long you know probably 10 10 or 12 15 years something like that around here okay but they sure are doing some damage uh, yeah all right folks well um as you know daryl is a new sponsor to the show and uh, Daryl, before I play the actual sponsor plug, why don't you go ahead and um, give us a, a quick rundown of your your new up-and-coming operation and what you're calling it and um, what you'd like to say about it. Well, we're going to go with the name, you know, Longhorn Geckos. Uh, mm-hmm. Another one of the hobbyists. I was I was really wanting to do Lone Star Geckos, but Chris Grubbs has already stole that one, so good for him. But hmm. uh, basically it's uh, Kate and I. You know, father and son duo here, uh, doing a little bit of uh, genetic training and 
and husbandry techniques and get him going on how to take care of this stuff and what to do and how to do it and, you know, maybe some life lessons as well, little business practices and stuff like that. And, you know, specializing mainly in geckos, of course. And, you know, he likes all the orange, wild-colored geckos. And, of course, old dad's more into the wild types. So we're going to go on both sides of it. We'll be doing, you know, you know, lots of the the stuff that everybody sees and and uh, you know, dealing with the genetic side of it for Cade, let him learn how this works. Um and in the wild tops for me, that's what I really like. So anyway, that's, that's what we're gonna do. We're all we're all excited about it and um and getting ready to do it. Well I see uh I see our favorite logo designer is in the chat room, Miss Brooke Pulaski. And uh, heads up, Rook, you have a new job to do. We need you to make something really cool for Daryl, for Longhorn Geckos. And, uh, you know, I'll have him contact you during the week, and you guys can discuss uh, what he's going after, what kind of look he he wants. But there you go. you got another job there, Brooke. And by by the way, folks, if you're on Facebook and you need a logo, really beautiful logo for your business, uh, definitely uh, check out Brooke Pulaski. She's in the Gecko Nation group as well, and uh, she does terrific work. And, uh, well, we're going to go ahead and mention, of course, our other fantastic sponsors. And like you guys know, all of our sponsor plugs here are sincere. These are some of the best breeders and businesses in the community. So check them out. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Ron Tremper is the biggest contributor to Leopard Gecko Morph Making, known worldwide for his amazing examples of living art. You can now download his Leopard Gecko Care app, his Morph Encyclopedia app called Leopard Gecko Pro, and visit his site, leopardgecko.com, to see where morphs are made. GiantLeopardGecko.com specializes in giant and supergiant leopard geckos with a focus on selectively bred, exceptional lines of many different morph combinations, including high-end African fat tails and crested geckos. With over 17 years of experience in herpetoculture, Keith Kiggins brings you quality, integrity, and value. Check out GiantLeopardGecko.com on the web and on Facebook. Reptiles Express is the absolute best live animal shipping company with great low rates. Debbie is the queen of customer service and will make sure your precious cargo gets to where it needs to. They also have a wide array of shipping supplies from deli cups, snake bags, heat packs, and more. Visit reptilesexpress.com and become a member today. And if you're looking for quealty food for your dubia roaches, crickets, mealworms, and superworms, look no further than MS2 Premium Insect Chow. Made with reptiles in mind, it contains no dog food, cat food, or chicken mash. Using only vegetable proteins and high-quality ingredients, MS2 Premium Insect Chow will have your feeders making a beeline for it. Contact ms2ent.weebly.com or it can also be purchased at Rainbow Mealworms and AB Dragons. abdragons.com is your source for the highest quality dubia roaches. Whether you're starting a colony of your own or just need feeders for your insect-eating herps, abdragons.com can't be beat in quality or price. 
They are also a huge distributor of FlexWatt Reptile Heat Tape and have very competitive pricing. Check out abdragons.com online and on Facebook. That's right, folks. And if you're coming into the, uh, the world of leopard geckos, and geckos in particular, uh, there's, you, know, you, you probably found a lot of great sources on Facebook and maybe even on Instagram. But before Facebook kind of stole some action from uh, forums, there, there was a forum that was huge, and it's even becoming ever more popular day by day as more people find it. And, you know, of course, there's always people that just aren't on Facebook. So I want to direct everybody that's interested in geckos to check out Gecko Forums. So, and one other special radio show. So check out this quick plug. Did you know that since 2006, there's been a treasure trove of history and information on leopard geckos and other species? Well, Gecko Forums is the most extensive database of leopard gecko history on the web right now. Take a look and delve into the past, present, and future of this great community. The biggest contributors, breeders, and hobbyists have left their mark there. Now it's your turn. Look, learn, and post away. Need a place to post animals for sale? Look no further. Visit geckoforums.net and become a member today. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to be the official radio show associated with Gecko Forums. Herpentime Radio is my inspiration for GNR. Justin and JD do a terrific show every Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. Eastern and have an amazing archive of shows available for download. Visit them at blogtalkradio.com slash herpentime and on Facebook. That's right, folks. And I just want to mention our sponsor, abdragons.com, has a standing discount code for all our listeners. So if you guys need the highest quality Juvia roaches and FlexWatt heat tape, abdragons.com, and use the code GECKO, all in caps, at checkout. All right, Daryl, what do you say we uh, jump into the news with Mr. Steve Barker? I'm ready. Sound good? All right. Let's yes, sir. Go. Good evening, Gekonians. <laughs> what's up, Steve? How are what's you? Hey, Steve. Hey, what's going on? How you guys doing? Doing good. Great. Doing good. How about you? Uh, pretty good. Lots nice. of Tell sun. Us about what lot, you've been lot. hatching. Oh, geez. Let's see. I got some milliis hatched out. And I I can't get over those guys. They're so cool. Um, bandits, albino bandits, um, snow, rainwaters. What else? I got a, another clutch of ball python eggs. Bunch of stuff's going on now. Oh wow! Hopefully cool. Not. Yeah. Yeah. But nice. our first nice. our first story is a local story. To me, Mm -hmm. in a city that I've talked about before, Auburn, New York. Yes. And where all reptiles are banned. Okay. Wow. The story came to me through Facebook. There is no article about it. But a ball python was found on the sidewalk in Auburn, New York. Great. So, (laughs) this guy messaged me with pictures of a ball python asking me 
what kind of snake it is and what type. So I'm, I told him, pastel ball python, and I immediately said, te- you know, messaged him back, where did you get that snake? Because I recognize the snake right. as one, oh, of, wow. one of my hatchlings that I produced last year. Really? Yeah, and at first I, he, I didn't know where he got it. I thought he bought it from someone that I sold it to. And then he tells me it was on the sidewalk. So I was upset after that. I mean, I was really upset. Luckily, I keep good records of who gets what. And right. I, I called that person and found out he sold it to someone else. And where they went from there, he doesn't know. But Jeez. one ended up on the sidewalk. One of my hatchlings. No, the guy that found it was keeping it. Um he you know, he he uh took all the advice on how to keep it and everything and I'm just glad someone found it. You huh. know, and it was That's really it, interesting. Yeah, isn't it? Is. Isn't it? I mean what would you guys do? I mean I just, like I said, I was upset at first. To me, that's one of my babies, you know? <laughs> oh, my God. You want to hear something incredible? This reminds me of a story that I remember when I was a teenager in the 4-H Herpetology Club. Um, another member had a corn snake escape from its cage, and they searched the house high and low and never found it, right? Two months later, a girl that was also in the 4-H Herp- Herpetology Club that lives about three blocks away from this person, winds up finding the snake in her yard. Now, uh-huh. the odds of the snake, you know, surviving birds and whatever outside is astronomical. But to make its way to another person that goes to the same herpetology club, to me, that is more than a coincidence and proof that there are other forces at work in the universe. Because what are the odds yeah. of that? You, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. Yep. That's just crazy. It's like crazy. And for everybody you don't know, when identifying a ball python, the pattern is just like a fingerprint. There is no two alike. And I I have a database full of pictures of snakes that I produced, and all I had to do was go back from two pictures he sent me. I went back and identified the snake. Because... You know, wow. I just, I could do it. There, the one thing that gave it away was a lot of my pastels come out with a single dot behind their neck. And that was the first thing that gave it away for me, was that. And then I went in and looked, and sure enough, the pattern matched exactly. Okay, wow. that's awesome, Steve. Well, I would have offered them money to get it back just to have it, but at least you know it's at yeah. home. Yeah. That's cool. All right. Yeah, it just kind of blew my mind that it came back to me, you know? <laughs> yeah, really interesting. Exactly. All right. And in U.S. ARC news, the constrictor mm. rule comment has reopened. So I'm going to post in the chat room the link to where you can make a comment for... To add, you want to ask for an extension on the comment period, first of all, and you want to 
object to adding the addition of reticulated python, three anaconda species, and boa constrictor. You want to, re, you know, object to that in the comments. Exactly. So yep. the link is, if it'll let me post it in there, hopefully. <coughs> also put it on the GNR page, if you would, on Facebook, Steve. All right. Okay, just posted the link, and hopefully while you guys are listening to the show tonight, all you have to do is go follow it on there, write out a comment saying you oppose the adding of the four more constrictor snakes. And let me, boa constrictors are on that list. They're going to try and add boa constrictors. So this is important. You really got to go on there. Everybody, even if you don't have a boa constrictor, please go on there. Right, and it's and the whole thing that if they get the, the boa constrictors, they're going to chip away at everything else, so eventually they'll get to our leopard geckos. So we got to yeah. try to stop them in their tracks now, folks. So all you got to do is go on there. It's going to have a comment box. You fill it in with, I, I oppose the adding of reticulated pythons, three anacondas, and the boa constrictor to the Lacey mm-hmm. Act. And please give an extension on the comment. That's all you have to do is just do that so that hopefully they extend how long we can make comments so that more people can be reached. And I can tell you right now, this is pathetic. It says that 277 comments have been received. That's it. Oh, my God. 277 comments. That is crazy. Yeah, that that is crazy. So we got to get on there and and really, you know, get to it and tell them that we don't want them to keep banning stuff. But anyways, in good news, what would you think, Dave, of that bold gold and lavender striped eclipse from Ron Trevor? Oh, man. Oh my God, that makes wild. Now, you know, usually eclipses will uh, kind of like act like a hypo and kind of fade things out and you know, kind of take away from the boldness of any morph. But you know, to get the confirmation that he's getting on that particular eclipse line is really interesting. So I think, I think in a few more generations, that to have a bold stripe, full effect eclipse would be incredible. So I think it's a work in progress, but I definitely. Uh, have yeah. a lot of respect for that one. That looks great. Oh, what do you yeah. think, Daryl? Yeah, that was that was really really cool. I, I first saw that, I thought, wow. <laughs> yeah. I had to look at it a little bit, you know. Yeah, that was that was incredible. And, and folks, so, we posted it on the Gecko Nation Radio Facebook page, so you can check it out. But yeah, hey Steve, yeah. are you producing any nice? You're producing some bold stuff too this year, right? Some nice ones. Yeah, I've got um, some really nice stripe stuff already come out. I had a nice reverse stripe bandit. Really nice. Um, I don't know. I, I just, I can't even wait. Yeah. <laughs> I'm ready for them. I'm ready for them to all start hatching. Jeez. Yeah, exactly. It, it just amazes to me how quickly they change and how fast they grow. So it's, yeah, it's just really neat. I, I, Kate and I are the same way. You know, we no, just can't but, wait every day. We'll see another egg hatch. The two bells I hatched out so far this year, they're just, like, after the first shed, their whole head started to turn a nice, nice bright orange. 
which I got to get oh, a nice. video update of that. Yeah, they just and it like comes in from the nose and spreads. You know, it just yeah. You have a you have a killer love. bell line going there. Yeah. Oh, I love it. That's cool. Is it the pumpkin pumpkin stuff? No, no. But what he's got is he, no. He's got he's got a really interesting um, tangerine bell line that came from Ron Tremper. But actually, it was it was actually Ron's new wife's line, and. Like, he, he, bred, he, bred the, he bred a, bed, a bell sunglow to a really nice yeah. um, hypo hyper bell. He hit on a yep. red stripe, what looks like a red stripe bell. It is so yeah. beautiful. Yeah, wow. totally high yeah. contrast, incredible. Hey, Dave, and the, um, the hypo wasn't listed as hat for Eclipse, and it is hat for right. Eclipse because I hatched out a radar out of that, too. And which is wow, yeah, awesome! And they turned, okay. they proved it out. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Awesome, cool. Yeah, good, good work, Steve. Absolutely. And I think I kept everything from those last year. <laughs> well, I don't, think I, would, I, let, I don't think I let any of it go. <laughs> I think I have everything right, well, still. Well, what do you say we go through the time, the time warp tunnel for a second here, guys, and All hear right. some her history. <laughs> Take a second time, Steve. All right, I'm taking you, I think, as far back as we've gone so far, March 31st, 1908. This is a weird complaint that was listed in the paper as to Mm -hmm. the classification of sea turtles by the Cuban officials. March 31st, a weird but serious complaint was reached. The Bureau of... Insular Affairs of the War Department relating to the classification by the Cuban custom officials of sea turtles. The point at issue is whether these monster turtles should pay duty as animals not otherwise classified or come in as reptiles free of duty. Okay, you understand? It kind of reads a little old, you know. (laughs) Yeah, right. That a turtle is a reptile is tenaciously held by those interested in the industry which herefore has flourished on the south side of the island. The turtles are captured in great numbers near Batanabo, and a ready market is found in all parts of Cuba. So that's horrible. Under the animal classification, the duty collected is... Regarded as prohibitive, according to the complaint made, an authority has sought to have the turtle once more assigned to the reptile class so that it would be easier to import them and slaughter them, basically. Right. Okay. Wow. And that was March 31st, 1908. Yeah. Now, wow. now they're, most of them are protected. So. Right. But over 100 if, years they later. if they hadn't changed that classification, maybe they wouldn't have. <laughs> exactly. Interesting. Well, I, yeah. Yeah. Really. All right. Wow. Hey, Steve, you gonna make it to the New York White Plains show, uh, July 6th? Uh, no. Actually, we're we're getting our house ready for a party. My son graduated yesterday, actually. Oh. <laughs> so we're having. Okay. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, I'm very All right, proud. Well, I'll catch you at the next one then. All right.
In fact, there's a good chance I may not make this one either, but my animals will definitely be there. I may uh, come early and set up, and I may have to leave. Something might happen. i, I got to see, though. Um, but I'll keep everybody posted. Um, all right, Steve, thank you very much for the news, and uh, we'll see you next week. I'll see you there. Take care. Thanks, Steve. All right, let's go ahead and bring on our guest of honor tonight, Mr. Jordan Russell. Jordan, you are live on Destination Radio. What's up, Dave? How you doing, buddy? Good. How are you? I'm here with my co-host, Daryl Burton. How are you doing tonight, Jordan? Doing well, thanks. How are you doing, Daryl? Good, Jordan. How are you? Great, man. So, uh, hey, man, so what are we talking about I tonight? Yeah, well, Jordan, you know, you're really doing a lot of great things out there, and... Oh, my God. you got so many different things going on. I don't know how you keep track of everything. Your head must be flying <laughs> off your shoulders. <laughs> yeah, it seems that way sometimes, but you just keep trucking, you know? Right. Why don't you tell us about uh, what you're involved in now, some of your uh, your activities, including the RAACA. Well, I'm uh, obviously there's RACA, which is the uh, – basically that started as a uh, – well, we, we have the Rare Reptile Classifieds kind of conglomerate on Facebook, which is the Rare Reptile Classifieds, Rare Reptile Collection page, and uh, then the Horticultural Revival Project, which is Jeff Hagen's page. <clears throat> and uh, those three things had kind of uh, been going well. There was a good base, and as the pages grew, it felt like there was, like, a need to, like, celebrate. Like, you know, it, it felt good to have some camaraderie between people who were you know, not to sound cliche like that no true Scotsman kind of thing, you know, but, you know, true herpers in the sense that you lived, you breathed, you died, reptiles or amphibians, it was your life. It wasn't just money. Um, and it felt good to know that there were that many people, you know, as the pages grew in interest, there were that many people that were into what you were into. And uh, as each kind of milestone passed, it was like, well, Let's do this to kind of uh, celebrate. Let's do that. And then we hit, I want to say it was like 4,000 members, and we were like, you know, let's do an auction for U.S. art, which went surprisingly well. We raised like, I want to say, just over five grand or so. And after that, uh, Mike Clarkson, who's a good friend of mine, uh, he and I were talking, and we're like, you know, let's do, let's do something more. Let's do something for Forever Wild, which is like this really honest, genuine, exotic animal sanctuary out here in Southern California, which could always use help. I mean, their their job, their life is cleaning up society's ills. You know, they just get stuff dumped on them incessantly. So we did a, mm-hmm. a benefit auction for them on, on Facebook, and we, we did quite well with that as well. And we went, man, let's, let's see if we can kind of make a go of this. So we created a page called the Reptile and Amphibian Charity Auctions, and we did a U.S. ARC auction. It blew us away. I want to say the first one we did was like 32K raise. And we went, wow, like people wanted this. As much as we thought as much as we thought this needed to be done, people felt the same way. And it, it, it was really like this, I don't know, just a really positive feeling to know that you weren't alone in your community. Like hey, all, everybody wanted to do the same thing. Everybody had the same goals. We just needed a way to do it and make it easy for everybody to do it. So we just kind of kept going, and we did a, uh, a raffle. Uh, Jeff Ronnie, who uh, obviously goes by the boa file, is his company name. He makes cages. He breeds boas. He's a board member of USARC. 
he was kind enough to to trust us that we weren't gonna you know have a big flop and uh, you know let us play with some of his cages and we put out uh, a raffle with his product and it was uh, I would say a success. I think we raised just about twenty six grand off of that. Um, wow. And then now we have an even bigger raffle that's going on right now, which was it was it was just awesome to see so many people come together, chip in, you know, kind of throw their hat in the ring, and go, I want to play too, I want to help. Uh, Shane Costello from SC Constrictors, uh, he chipped in a, a beautiful purple Sunfire. Kyle Frost, who's a very good uh, personal friend of mine, chipped in an Orange Dream Inchy Lemon Blast. Dan Sutherland at TSK chipped in 500 bucks worth of feeder rodents. Freedom Breeder chipped in over $12,000 worth of racks. Brian Barczyk at BHB kicked in hognose morphs and corn snake morphs and scaleless rat snakes. And uh, Herp Nation kicked in every issue they've ever printed of their magazine. Three full-page oh, wow. ads. Um, just across the board, It was it's not only an amazing prize. I mean, of course, like anybody who wins it, the idea when I called all these people and said, you want to play, you want to participate, <laughs> the, the picture I tried to paint for them was that whoever wins, not only did you help USR, not only did you kind of uh, throw your money in the pot that we all need to be throwing money into because we need USR as much as we ever have, but I want the person that wins, uh, for them to win and have it change their life. I want them to walk away and go, holy crap, that was a defining moment in my life where everything changed from that point on. And yeah. uh, I feel I feel like this prize did that. Well, Brian Brakus won the last one, right? He did. He did, which was really cool. I mean, I don't know Brian, but from seeing his Facebook posts regarding the prize, it seemed like he was not only a very fitting person to have win, kind of needed it, and uh, I just, yeah. seeing what he posted about it made me feel even better about what happened. Well, you know, he's a good guy from what I can tell, and I've bought a few ball pythons from him. I've bought a uh, black pastel and um, a black pastel head albino and two female head albinos, because I'd like to make black pastel albinos eventually, and um, I was really happy with those snakes that I got from him. They're beautiful, and uh, he just seems to have really good ethics about it. He was very concerned about shipping in the cold, and you know he wanted to make sure they got to me safely. And you know he seems like a you know like a straight and narrow type of guy. He doesn't seem um, I don't know shady. I guess is a good word. So when I heard yeah, him, I no, one, no, he, I was, he struck me as one of those genuine good herpers that you you want to have win something like this. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So that was cool. And uh, you know we 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 know the struggles that we're facing. We talk about it on the air all the time. In fact, Steve was just done with the news uh, mentioning that we have to sign the uh, the petition for about the new uh, constrictors they want to add to the Lacey Act. And he was just telling me, Jordan, that there's only been a couple, less than 300 people that have commented so far. And, I mean, that's that's kind of pathetic. We really need thousands and thousands of people to comment. So, I mean, of course, we have a lot of time to do it. And I'm sure, you know, as the time wanes, you will see more and, pe- more, and more people comment. But, um, you know, from your perspective, Jordan, what do you think? I mean, we really... Well, I feel like it's, a, to it's be... a tightrope walk. Yeah, go ahead. It, it, it is, because, yeah. I mean, you have apathy on one hand, where 
you know, we're always going, well, ultimately, what does my one petition signature matter? You know, if, if I right. don't, you know, big deal, it's just one, and everybody thinks that. So you have that, that big push of apathy that, you know, it's just it's pervasive. It's part of just humanity, and you have to overcome that somehow. And the default obvious way to overcome that is by fear pandering and fear mongering and really pushing your base around and, you know, really horrifying them into thinking that if they don't uh, take immediate action, the end is coming. And that's not healthy either. Uh, and having a good, honest, genuine discussion. It is. Well, I mean, it might be. It, it might not be. I mean, you don't. There's no benefit other than getting action from scaring everybody. I mean, I think back to, you know, 2008, 2009, and the shows uh, in Southern California where every 20 minutes you have, uh, not to be a jerk, but you have Andrew uh, just screaming over the PA system about how they're trying to take away our bows and pythons. And, you know, I, I've had discussions with other keepers and breeders at shows that go, you know, I almost I had a, a guy that wanted to buy this snake, super good guy, awesome snake, and literally heard or heard Andrew over the PA say that, and he decided not to buy it because he's afraid that all of a sudden they were going to get prohibited, and if he ever moved, it was going to be a problem or what have you. There's repercussions that come with fear mongering uh, that you don't foresee, and unfortunately, the the third option, which is to have a very pragmatic and reasoned discussion about it. It's boring. Nobody wants to hear a reasoned discussion. Um, so what are, I, I don't know what the correct option is. That's why I stay out of politics and I just try to raise money for the guys that do that. I, and I can appreciate that, that too, and that's what I would, would want to be doing as well. That's why I like to support things like this. Um, I guess the other option, though, Jordan, would be the ideal option would be to get people to want to naturally help and to want to naturally sure. embrace, you know, embrace this and understand that, yes, okay, there is a possibility that we could lose this. Um, I love this so much. It's such a part of my life. What am I willing to do to protect it? And, well, and people I, I out think there you have to give that incentive. incentive. Well, yeah. that's the incentive always helps too, right? You know, that's true. And, I, I mean, I think the incentive, though, overall should be the fact that you get to keep what you have, not what you're going to gain from donating a few bucks, too. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> it, doesn't help, it doesn't hurt, of course, to, to, want, you know, to win a whole complete set of new racks and a bunch of awesome sure. things from VHB. Yeah. So, well, I'm not necessarily you're saying the incentive needs to be amazing. The incentive can be as little as feeling as though you're a large part of this community, that your voice matters, that your signature was important. And I think that perhaps uh, if, if we want to get our community, our base, to work together when it comes to important hot-button issues like this, that perhaps we should be a little less uh, insensitive and, and rude to one another, like you tend to see online, uh, mm. tend, to, uh, tend to see uh, on Facebook and on various forums, uh, and be more of a community, but not only that, but when people actually participate, they get recognition. I, I don't think uh, it's quite understood by by a lot of the people that organize these things that something as simple as making sure that everybody who donates at an auction gets the name recognition. I mean, it might be a $50 item, but that $50 item might have meant the world to that person that donated that item. 
Um, and at fifty dollars, might not make much of a difference when it comes to the grand scheme of a, a, a lawsuit that might run hundreds of thousands of dollars. But one guy chipping in ten grand is uh, a one-time shot. The, the people that chip in the fifty dollar, twenty dollar, hundred dollar items. That's how you get the grand sum that we need, and those people need that recognition, yeah. and they need they need the incentive of feeling the sense of community to continue doing that. Because uh, as much as I hate to say it, they're much more important than the people that kick in the five thousand dollar checks or you know a, a, an eight thousand dollar stake in an auction. The, 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 the small potatoes guys are the guys that keep this industry going. Sure, that's true. That's absolutely true. And Jordan, overall, would you? say that from your the raffles that you do for, for USR uh, and also the RAACA um, uh, raffles, I'm sorry, the auctions that you do and the raffles, which which do you tend to make more money from towards USR? Uh, the, the raffles or the, the, big, uh, the, the auctions, little auctions? The auctions, the auctions generally are double the amount of money. Now, wow. the logical question you get from that is why don't you just do auctions? Um, <laughs> and I think that at a certain point in time, uh, you run out. I mean, people get tired of you pandering and going, are you, are you donating this time? Are you going to kick in an animal this time or a cage or some feeders or whatever? Um, you can mm-hmm. only ask so much of the community, particularly when it's unfortunately uh, not the majority of the community playing ball. I mean, it's not uh, – I mean, if you look at the auction history, you know, we might have – 80 or 100 or 150 donors per auction, but if you run the gamut, I mean, it's 40 or 50% of the same people every time. Um, so you, you, you'll quickly expire <laughs> their ability or desire to, uh, to donate. So we have to keep things going to where there's forward momentum and there's positivity uh, for U.S. ARC and for raising money for U.S. ARC, while at the same time not just uh, completely beating it to death and having too many auctions or only auctions. So although the raffles aren't necessarily as profitable, and they do also tend to be more work for me, um, they are a great kind of filler between auctions that do raise them. It's still substantial, uh, substantial money. You know, I would like to see a day where, like for instance, we've talked about these things over uh, on a bunch of our shows, and... Um, I'd like to see a day where, like, say, expo promoters, um, when you're when people are lined up coming into an expo, they they add an extra dollar to their uh, to their entry fee, and that dollar will go to USR. You know, you have ten thousand people or more going in the in and out doors of these expos sometimes, and there's there's revenue there that could be directed right to USR every time, and it's just it's lost. It's not even not even done. I mean, I I think even you know, there's so many other ways that we're not capturing funds that we could be. Um, you know, I think... Has it, has Dave? Yeah, go ahead, Daryl. Hey, I think that's a great idea. I think you're right. Has anybody approached these guys that are running these shows? Of course, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't do them, so... But has anybody approached them and thrown that up to them and said, hey, you know, can we... Have you thought about doing this? Because at the end of the day, if all this stuff gets banned, they're out of business anyway. Right. Sure. No, so it would be something. It would be something that would be beneficial to them as well. Well, I mean, I'll tell you firsthand. I mean, things like this RACA stuff. 
uh, I've had so many people inquire and go like, uh, you know, your team of people are so great for doing all this stuff, and uh, very they have this uh, this impression, and partially my fault because our email is teamracka@gmail.com, but it's not really a team. It's just a couple of guys that said, I can do something. I'm going to try it. If I fail, oh well, I tried. At least right. I tried. And I think mm-hmm. what you're talking about is not only a brilliant idea that could raise great sums of money, but it's something that if someone just is willing to pick up the phone and call up Rami at the Super Show or Brian Potter at NRBC or Wayne Hill or any of these guys and go, you know, here's my idea. Are you willing to do it? Charge an extra 50 cents or an extra dollar or whatever it is and donate that to USR. Yeah, I mean, I bet you at least one of them would say yes and probably more. But the hard part is going and picking up the phone and making it happen. Um, I'm going to try. I'm going to try. You should. I think that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to at least try for uh, – I'm going to contact Bruce Loader for the New York show that I'm going to on the 6th. I'm I'm likely going to go. I may not make it, but I'm going to see. Also, the Hamburg, Pennsylvania show. I attend, um, and uh, that's another one. I'm going to contact um, the promoter also and see what we can do. You know, the worst they can say is no, and, you know, that's it. Exactly. Right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I, and and as, as, as soon as one of them says yes, the rest of them look like jerks, so they're going to have to play ball eventually, right? That's the exactly. brand of, exactly. uh, of an idea like that, is that if you get one guy to say yes, everyone has to eventually say yes. And you go well, from... And the thing about it is, it's no, it's no, uh, it's no money out of their pocket. I mean, for them to do it is the thing, you know. I mean, like you say, you add an extra fifty cents or a buck to to an entry ticket. I mean, it's not costing them anything to do it other than just doing it. Well, and they uh, can promote the fact that they're sit doing down it. and tally that up, and they have to deal with it on their books. And trust me, it's it it, it will eventually cost them money to do it. I mean. At the well, end of sure. the day, it'll be a big it'll be a big hassle, and I can understand them not wanting to ride out the gates. But if it's presented as though you just presented it to me, which is that it's in your economic best interest long term sure. to help preserve the hobby that you feed your family on, they're going to do it. I mean, it's just logical yeah. to to do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, well, well, I'm going to give it a shot. That, I, that was, I, I got. Go ahead, Daryl. Go ahead, Dave. So well, I was, I was sitting here listening, you know, I've been listening to this, and it was just amazing to me that you say that the auctions generate more revenue. I, I would think, you know, just from my layman perspective, that, you know, you would sell more of these uh, raffle tickets, you know, because like you say, look at look at what they're going to win. And right. I figured, you know, not everybody can, can throw out, you know, uh, you know, several thousand dollars or several hundred dollars for a really nice animal that you're auctioning, but everybody could throw up. 20, 40, 60 bucks to get a few raffle tickets to win a bunch of very cool prizes. I was impressed looking at that list of stuff that that's going to be given away this time. That is incredible. Well, so and how I, many how I, many I, raffle I wish, tickets do you I, sell? You well, it depends. I mean, this is only our second event, and uh, yeah. our last event we did about twenty six thousand dollars, and that's twenty bucks a pop. Uh, Perfect. Yeah. So. This this event is uh, it's different. I mean, the first event was kind of me just going, I'm going to try this. So we right. wanted to make it uh, to where people knew, because this is the hard part. You have a precedence in our hobby of people 
doing things they shouldn't do when it comes to fundraising. It's just it's an unfortunate sure. truth that we all know is there. Um, there's countless BOI threads where someone's stolen money that they're supposed to help somebody, and it's awful. So right. it, we wanted to make sure when we started the first auctions that it was 100% crystal clear that that wasn't even a possibility. When someone buys an item at an auction, they're paying U.S. art. The way they release the auction is by sending a screenshot of them paying U.S. art to me. So when we did ah. the... Uh, when we did the raffle, we wanted to kind of follow suit, but we needed more than just that uh, to really make it clear to people, this is above board. So we had legitimate raffle tickets printed, and I personally sat down and stuffed emails a few hours per day for a month straight and mailed them out by hand, hand wrote them out to every single person that bought a raffle ticket. You're talking about a lot of raffle wow. tickets. Now, that that just wasn't feasible to do twice, but it did give us a benefit in that there were a few very good pet stores, Dark Pets Las Vegas, Brian Potter's store in Chicago, uh, which is the Chicago Reptile House, um, Prehistoric Pets, and I feel bad, but I think I'm forgetting one, but I apologize if I am. But those people were able to say, oh, I'm sorry, it was uh, Bruce Della's store, Twin City Reptiles. They were able to sell large amounts of tickets through foot traffic. Now, this time, because it was just unfeasible for me to snail mail out that many tickets, we're doing it purely electronically, which in turn forfeited all of those at-the-counter sales that these stores provided for us. So, Wow, yeah. Well, we need to find a sweet spot for round three. I really believe that we do. So um, the ticket sales this time are a little sluggish, not going to lie. It's, it's definitely not where I wanted it to be or thought it would be. Um, but given the results from last time, we did almost 50% of our total ticket sales in the final week, which we're now just going into at this event. So although we're a little sluggish and I'm not thrilled with the results, I could see us doubling down on total ticket sales within the next five days. Okay. Again, it's got to be hard to get it out there, you know, because... Go ahead. Go ahead, Dave. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, and let's tell, uh, Jordan, let's tell the audience and the listeners exactly what we're... Uh, doing that special for for them this week to get to get some more ticket sales. Jordan, well, um, I'm not sure I follow your question. I apologize. Oh well, we talked about earlier. Um, I'm I'm doing a separate um, I'm doing oh, a separate yes. separate raffle for people that uh, send me screenshots of their tickets, and I'm going to be giving a uh, really nice gecko, something very very special for my collection. And, Jordan, uh, explain the, the extra prize that you're going to be giving. Yeah, so basically, from what I understand from what we discussed earlier, if someone buys a raffle ticket, someone who's been listening to the show, you're basically entered into a second raffle. Now, it's not part of RACA. It's part of what you're doing. And what they do is they buy a raffle ticket from RACA.net, which is R-A-A-C-A.net. Go on there. You buy a raffle ticket, buy 10, buy 20, buy thousands, please. <laughs> and then in turn, right. you take a screenshot of that and you send it in. And, uh, send it to, to me. You, which is, which, what is your email address? Um, you can send it to GatoNationRadio at gmail.com or you can uh, PM it to me on Facebook. We already got one from Rachel. Thank you, Rachel. Uh, there you go. So that basically enters in uh, your ticket, not only to the primary raffle, but also the secondary raffle, which you're providing, which is for a chance to win a gecko, 
And then when we talked earlier, I said, you know, let's let's take in a little something extra. So I own a web service company called BreederSource.com, and basically what we provide is hosting, website, uh, a uh, credit card processing, basically like a whole e-commerce website specifically made for animal breeders. And uh, that's our, the charge for that is $29.99 a month. So we're going to do two years of service for you. Uh, kicked in with the secondary prize. That's wow. awesome. So that, yeah. that, there's a lot of people that listen to the show that are new, up-and-coming breeders that are starting businesses, just like my co-host, Daryl, that would really yeah. benefit from something like this. So, yeah. I'm, get, I'm get getting those, in on it. Maybe I'll win it. Yeah. Oh, cool. I, I wish I could play. Yeah. I'll be happy whoever wins, so, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And we're going to draw the ticket on uh, July fourth, so stay tuned for that. And I'm sure someone's going to someone's going to be super pumped to win all that stuff. Yeah, that is a oh, bunch of awesome. stuff. That is incredible. Yeah. Hey, you yeah, know, I'm sure idea. it's a struggle. Go ahead, Daryl. I was thinking, Jordan, that um, I think I envision a day where maybe US Arc has some kind of influence, almost like a union, so to speak, where. You know, they, they get dues and stuff that's just, you know, it's all organized. And, you know, the industry as a whole, because I don't know about you, Jordan, but I'm right now I'm seeing this go, It's a, we, we got a 50-50 shot, and I see, I see one of two things happening. I'm really optimistic in the sense that uh, we are in, on the edge of herpetoculture becoming mainstream and becoming huge and unstoppable. And once that happens... We're not going to need – we'll have all the help we need, to put it that way. But then my pessimistic side says, wow, we only got 200, 200 and some odd comments on this USR thing and on this Lacey I thing, and, you know, if we really got to raise a lot more money for this lawsuit and this and that, we may lose this. So, you know, I, I, I go either way. Some days I'm feeling great and some days I'm not. What, what, do, you, what do you think about that uh, for the future of well, USR? I, I, I think – I think both are true. I mean, uh, I mean, you look at the uh, general population in your area. People I, across the board. I mean, there's people who don't care about anything. Just that there are those people, regardless of the discussion at hand. But the majority of people care about their home. They care about their family. They care about their community, and then a few peripheral topics. For us, it's reptiles. And uh, mm-hmm. You know, I mean, if, if you just look at uh, voting numbers, you know, we just had our, our recent vote in L.A. Uh, you know, I, I want to say it was like around 10% of registered voters came out and voted. So uh, to pretend that this doesn't translate into our community, uh, I think is kind of missing a crucial point, which is that although we're large, although we're very commercial at this point comparatively to, you know, maybe 10 or 20 years ago, uh, people as a whole are very hard to rally. Uh, it's difficult to organize people. And then you add in the fact that I think herpers are traditionally uh, a little bit more independent, a little less mainstream as individuals across the board, um, and all of a sudden it's a bit like herding cats where it's just you, you can't do it. Uh, so although I, I guess what I'm saying is that both things are true. I mean, we are on the precipice of becoming as – mainstream as we ever have been or maybe potentially even could be, um, mm-hmm. but that's not necessarily going to be reflective 
in the way we rally until we find a way to rally people that's effective. And uh, I don't know how to do that quite yet. Um, and I don't know that anyone has, which is probably why it hasn't happened. But perhaps mm-hmm. we need a, you know, someone who's uh, a bit more vocal, more of a leader. Uh, you know, I, I, I think Phil Goss is that guy. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I guess I'm as perplexed as the next guy, but I will say that when you have, uh, if you if you have the opportunity to sit down with Phil, and he's had some pretty big shoes to step into, amidst quite a mess, um, he's he's exactly the guy that I want at the helm. Um, mm-hmm. He's articulate. He's uh, he has strong moral character from everything I've seen. He's not the kind of guy you can push around, which is something you want. You want a guy that's a little bit of a bulldog in there. And in addition to that, he's smart, which isn't something you get easily. Uh, you know, you can get some of those other characteristics a little easier than you can get a smart guy. And right. I think it's going to take a little bit of time for him to kind of grow into his position. But once that happens and once the community realizes how much they need a guy like Phil at the helm, I think things will start to change a little bit. Um, And I don't know that he's necessarily aware of how powerful he is yet, Um, but if you have the chance to sit down and talk to him and pick his brain and, uh, you know, maybe push his buttons a little bit for fun, (laughs) which is a great way to find out what someone's made of, he's exactly who I want. Cool. Cool. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's a problem you're talking about, you know, getting everybody to rally together. I think that is, you know, whenever you're dealing with people in different states that fall under different guidelines, you know, they don't realize, some people don't realize what's going on elsewhere and and that in time it's all going to filter down to one, you know. And I think yeah. you get a lot of these people, like you say, I mean, the guys that are in the business, like y'all, like Dave and yourself and these other guys that are, that are doing it, trying to make a living or making a living, it's very important to you. And then whenever you've got your hobbyist type, they're thinking, well, you know, I've got one or two or three geckos or two snakes. You know, it's not going to affect me. It is eventually, but they don't look at it that way. And I think you're right. We've got to find some way to unite the whole instead of just a few isolated areas that get pretty pretty active in it. But, yeah, I'm like you. I don't know how to do that. I don't know. I don't know how you make people stand up and, and uh, you know, take account of what's going on. Absolutely. So. I mean, you look at historically with great leaders. I mean, it's like once every generation that there's a great leader born in the world. Sure. And, uh, you know, maybe we're just not being super realistic and expecting one at the drop of our will uh, for our community, you know. Um, right. But I – I don't know. I mean, I, I, I guess at the end of the day, uh, when when it gets real hot and stuff starts happening, uh, that's when the people start rising up and rallying together, and perhaps that's what it will take. Maybe the big pushback will be, uh, you know, us getting pushed down too hard, and then people will start rising to the top, and people will start pushing back and standing their ground, and, you know, maybe, maybe that's yeah. all it's going to be is, is us eventually having enough. Yeah, and I think that's possible. I think that, I think we have a yeah. lot of uh, sleeping heroes amongst us that just need that one thing they got to see or hear to wake them up and 
you know, snap him to reality. And I think it's coming. Um, I think there is an awakening happening throughout humanity across the board. It's a little slow going, but I believe it's happening. And, you know, I think, I, I guess I'm, what I'm more worried about is the establishment's reaction to that. I, I'm more worried about that. But I do believe, I don't know, like I said earlier, I am very optimistic at times. And so the last thing that we off. need is like an overly reactionary guy at the helm. You know, you don't want a guy right. who is pure, pure emotion. Uh, yeah, that's how you wind up in dangerous situations with people that are trying to regulate is when you have some lunatic <laughs> just spewing rhetoric or uh, pushing uh, buttons for no reason. Uh, I think that's how you can piss off the establishment and create a problem like you said. Um, but I think if you have a very pragmatic, sensible person that's uh, willing to you know, occasionally check his base a little bit or her base, if you will, a little bit and say, mm, you guys are off. You know, this this is uh, this is not ideal. This is not how I want things to happen. But it is the right choice for us as a community. And you trusted this person as your leader, so deal with it. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, I, I I agree. I definitely agree. And you know, Jordan, what do you think? Just give me your gut feeling. Uh, are you optimistic? Do you think we're going to pull it off? Do you think we're going to get to keep this? As far as what, the lawsuit or as far as the, the signatures? No, I'm, as far as herpetoculture as a whole. Do you think we're going to get to we're oh, prevail yeah. and I mean, you think we're going to keep it? I guess that just is, uh, that boils down to what does that mean to you? I mean, does it mean that yeah. we're going to be able to keep whatever we want, wherever we want, however we want? Absolutely not. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. because people are not inherently um, responsible and, uh, you know, uh, tend to take the uh, results of their choices into account when they make them, particularly the irresponsible amongst us, no. I mean, it's just it's an, an inevitability that the, the people amongst us who chronically make shitty decisions are going to, in effect, uh, breed legislation against us. And then you take the knee-jerk uh, people on the other end of the pond or the other end of the spectrum that are the ARA-leaning people, um, and they're going to use that against us along with just gray areas. So, no, we're not, we're not going to keep absolute freedom in herpetoculture. Will herpetoculture withstand? I, I think so. I mean, I, I find it very unlikely that uh, these ARA groups will get very far past large constrictors, venomous uh, animals that are, you know, uh, arguably uh, dangerous. And I even question right. that they will be fully effective on those fronts. I mean, obviously, there are certain things that I view as weak points for the hobby. You know, I mean, mass importation of wild-caught species is obviously a weak point because of the fact that the morality and ethics of it is arguable. The sustainability of it is arguable. Um, and if it's arguable as a herpetoculturist, it's in turn going to be arguable at a legislative process. Um, so, And I'm not saying that those people should win, and I'm not suggesting that we should cut off importation of wild-caught species whatsoever. What I am saying is that be realistic um, and understand that if you want wild-caught species to be uh, something that we can access for gene pool expansion or for preserving species, then be smart about it. If you want to 
be, to be able to, in the future, to pick obscure species to import for captive breeding propagations, perhaps be more responsible today with what you're permitted to do and not just bring in, you know, uh, thousands of uh, a given throwaway pet trade species uh, right. when you know full and well, if you just take a moment to consider it, that will, in effect, jeopardize the future of our hobby, or at least that branch of our hobby, because it's clearly a talking point if you go on any HSUS page regarding reptiles or any PETA page or uh, Friends of Animals or any of these guys. They love talking about what crappy people we are because we bring animals out of the wild and sell them to little kids where they die. If right. that's their main talking point, open your eyes and realize that that's one of our weak points. And perhaps we should reevaluate our process and procedure regardless of whether or not we're only filling CITES quotas or it's completely within the legal limit because it's a non CITES species and that's, that country has no, no export quota. You know, it's, uh, at a certain point, it's not a matter of it just being legal it's a, or even a matter of it being moral. At a certain point in time, it just becomes a matter of what's in our best interest politically to continue to do. I guess. Yes. And, Jordan, what do you think is... I know what our image is to the people out there that are coming after us. And what do you think is the biggest problem right now that we face um, as far as things that hurt our image out there in the community? Well, you're, gonna, <laughs> you're asking me to make a lot of people dislike me because uh, the only way to answer that question is to in turn throw a bunch of people under the bus, uh, which I don't really <laughs> want to do. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it boils down to the, the fundamental essence of what I just said, which is irresponsible yep. people that aren't necessarily bad. I'm not saying these people are jerks and they're, they're the problem and we should get rid of them. And I'm not being that guy that's up on a soapbox trashing anyone. That's not the point here. The point is that the people who are not taking the moment to say this is going to weigh our hobby down and eventually hurt us, need to reevaluate their decision-making process because just like the show promoters that can kick in a dollar per ticket at any show they, uh, you know, that they do, it's in their economic best interest to do that. And it's in the yeah. economic best interest of a, an importer or a large constrictor breeder or a venom dealer or what have you to not break laws or to not do things that are inherently stupid for our future. You know, if if you're a venom dealer, awesome. Venomous snakes are rad, and uh, and I envy that you get to do that for a living. Awesome, but don't go sell an 18 year old kid a uh, uh, puff adder for his first venomous snake unless you want that kid to wind up on the news. It's just stupid <laughs> stuff like that that just shouldn't be happening. Uh, if you know someone never owned venomous before, but they're a competent keeper. Start them off right. Take the extra 20 minutes or an hour to make sure that they're buying the appropriate species. I mean, there's no venomous with training wheels, obviously, but there is stuff that's just more aggressive, defensive, uh, higher venom toxicity, or even potentially more agile that shouldn't be a first-time venomous snake. Uh, right. That kind of stuff that just it shouldn't <clears throat> even need to be said, but unfortunately apparently does need to be said. That, that's what I'm talking yeah, right. Well, I'm with you. No, I agree. Yeah. Yeah, I've been well, in the, you know. Go ahead, Daryl. Well, all I was going to say is, you know, I've been around the reptiles, you know, since the late 70s, early 80s, 
been out of it for a long time and just getting back in, but there's always been that uh, uh, person or group of people in the hobby. There's, it's always been that way, and it's always going to be that way. But you're right. Those are the ones that are that are tarnishing the rest of the hobby, and uh, I don't know what you do about it, but, but you're exactly right. That's, I, that, that I think maybe cleaner. you're just you have to be willing to let them not like you, I think is what needs to happen. Because they will not exist if they're permitted to do the things they're doing with our endorsement. At the end of the day, we're complicit in what they're doing if we condone it or if we just turn a blind eye. Now, if, if we turn a blind eye and we permit them to continue doing what they're doing and drag us down with them, they will inevitably not have a market. They will inevitably have legislation passed against them, and they will be gone. Now, if we're willing to have them not like us and stand our ground a little bit and perhaps say, I don't think you shouldn't be permitted to do this, but I don't think you should do this, and here's why. As a community, we might be able to salvage the hobby with them, for them. Like, they will have a place in the future, even though they're fighting us, because of that. And, uh, yeah, yeah. Tough cookies if you don't like me for it, I guess. But uh, it's the way it is, unfortunately. And yeah, uh, I talked to Dave about that in the past. You know, in the old days, before social media and the internet and all that, you know, when you had to do everything by snail mail and a phone call, you know, you could you it was more easily uh, or it was easier to quote unquote blackball those people. You know, you didn't have to deal with them. You know, and you you could you could ostracize them in, in your little you know, in your little domain, the people that you talked to and communicated with. But today, with social media, while there is a lot of information out there, and you can get, they can get bad pub along with good pub, but there's just too many readily available outlets where somebody can go to them and and they can circumvent the system and do what they want to do. You know, I, I don't know how you, but you're right. I mean, you got to you got to put them, you know, paint them in a corner, so to speak. And I, I think you're right. I think that needs to be done. Yeah. Well, of course, but it's always Jordan, been that way. I, Jordan, I got myself in—I um, got myself in a situation where I basically didn't—I I basically did what you said. I was brave enough to come out against something I felt strongly about, and I definitely made some non-fans because of it. And my issue was—this um, was going back a couple of years ago on YouTube. I do a lot of YouTube videos, and I saw a lot of people, particularly new hobbyists posting live feeding videos to their snakes and their frogs and whatnot. And, of course, these animals have to eat. I have snakes. I have frogs. I have everything. I've done it. But, you know, being being that we're under the microscope with these animal rights groups, I felt that continually showing snakes and frogs, large frogs and monitor lizards eat uh, live rabbits, rats and such, was detrimental to us as a whole. And I basically asked the community kindly that they consider that and realize the fact that every time they these people will see a video where a, a little fuzzy creature gets killed like that, it just makes them hate us even more than they do already, and it kind of fuels the fire. So, I, I, well, yeah, rightfully I, so. I mean, I don't. I'll enjoy a nice ribeye steak, but I'm not going to go on YouTube and get off on watching people kill cows. I mean, there's something a little bit. Right twisted about enjoying watching animals die and 
I'm not going to fault some little girl happening across looking for a video about a white throat monitor that's not thrilled to see a rat get ripped to shreds by one. I mean, yeah, it's nature. Yeah, I get that. Uh, but if you're going to take the time to post a video about it, you can't help but realize that a lot of people are going to think you're enjoying that. It's not instructional. It's not a matter of you just going, well, this is nature and that's how life is. It leads logically to the idea that whoever's holding that camera is enjoying watching an animal die. And how could you not think that the people who do that are weird, crazy, or mean? And, uh, yeah, it just it, <laughs> it's totally understandable to suggest that probably not the greatest idea. Right. Well, well, why don't we just, I know you have, your time is limited, Wes, Jordan. Why don't we switch gears a little bit here? And I just want to say that you have some of the nicest-looking knobtails that I have ever seen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. I appreciate that. Yeah, have you been breeding these all by yourself? These are your lines? Uh, well, I mean, I don't have any direct lines. I mean, I basically, in like 2009, um, got exposed to knob-tailed geckos and was like, oh, these seem kind of neat. I'll, I'll grab a couple pairs and see if I like them. And uh, mm -hmm. I enjoy them. And basically, just over the years, have gone, that one's really nice. You know, if someone posts a, an animal on a forum, and I see it, and I go, wow, that animal is a must-have. Um, I'm yeah. the kind of guy that will go private message that guy and go, yeah, you want a 1000 bucks for that? And they go, are you serious? And then I get it. Um, rather, <laughs> than, uh, <laughs> rather than just buy hordes and hordes of animals and hope one of them turns out nice, I've just been kind of picky and selective and bought animals here and there. And no, none of it's my line per se, but I've worked uh, a variety of uh, Wheeler Eye for four or five generations. I think I might even have some six generation ones. And Levis, you know, four generations. And I mean, stuff is significantly different looking than other animals from perhaps the same lineage. But that's just a matter of me going, these are my holdbacks. They're not going for sale, and then refining a specific look. Uh, for instance, sure. Wheeler Eye, you know, I wanted very pencil thin banded, high red stock. I wanted the most produced pattern stuff I could get, and then I wanted the boldest, thickest banded stuff. And yeah. more or less have gotten the results I was going for. The thick banded stuff, that project's been a little bit of a flop. I mean, it's just not gaining the, the progress I was hoping to see, given that the other projects did. But, uh, you know, I'm just enjoying refining something that's already inherently pretty. Yeah. Oh. I love the, the Levis, the, the high reds that you're working yeah. on. Yeah. Oh, my God. Thank you. They're so beautiful. Yeah. And, the and, I, and I'm going to – I mean, those are cool, too. And not to change subjects, though, but I noticed that you had Christmas Mountain Alternas. Did you, I do. Uh, did I you did collect those, those yourself, or how did you come across those? No. Unfortunately, I've never gone herping in Texas. I'd like to one day, but never been out that way. Uh, no, a buddy of mine out in Arizona is an Alterna and Rosie Boa guy, and he offered me a bunch of stuff in trade and got them that way. Uh, got a bunch of Rosie Boas for myself. I've sold off all my oh, ball right. pythons like a year and a half ago or so, maybe, yeah, like a year and a half ago, and yeah. uh, kind of went, well, what do I want to do, you know, and have been over the past, year and a half going, all right, this seems neat, I'll try this. But then go, eh, it's neat, well, but not, not my thing. Just kind of bounce back and forth. And right now I'm going, 
I think Rosie Bowens would be cool. Let's see if I like them. I've never been into Rosie Bowens and been slowly buying them. And so far, they seem like a fun project. I mean, like, uh, perfect size, super crazy aggressive feeding response, don't ever turn down a meal. Live birth right. is always fun. I mean, they just uh, a ton of different <laughs> varieties. So. Well, I used to. Yeah. Uh, I went to college at, at Saul Ross State University, which is in Alpine, which is about 70 miles north of the Christmas Mountains. And so oh, cool. I used to hunt. I used to hunt those. Well, hunt the whole region. You know, usually 100, 120 knots a year. And I can just tell you from personal experience that if you're collecting alternas, the Christmas Mountains or Black Gap, those are the two best looking animals out there, in my opinion. There's something about the Christmas Mountains that it's kind of like the eclipse genes nearly in uh, in leopard geckos. It, they just have a, a wild pattern, better color. Uh, I mean, they're just that, the Christmas Mountains is is the ticket. So those are good animals. Good but they're pure. And the, and the, the one picture you have up, look, it definitely is a Christmas Mountain animal. So lots of speckling. That's a pretty light phased one. The alterna, you know, alterna morph narrow bands. Uh, which is pretty common. You'll get some that are, are. I collected one there that was nearly solid black with just a little bit of red nuchal blotch is all. No kidding, that's awesome. The yeah, the, yeah. I need to get a photo for the male. The male from that pair is, uh, I would say, like uh, a little bit dirtier looking, for lack of a better way mm-hmm. to phrase it. Uh, but still right. a very, very, very pretty animal. Uh, I, I've never worked with Alterna, but. Um, they seem like a fun snake. If the babies weren't such a pain in the butt, I think I'd give them oh, a go. Man. Yeah, they're they're tough. The the that that is the that is the thing. They're the the young are. I I'm telling you, I had this is no kidding. I hatched out some years and years and years ago, and I had to scent pinkies with a lizard for nearly two years before I got that thing to eat a mouse on its own. Wow. <laughs> That's just a deal yeah. breaker for me. I'd have to quit doing stuff yeah. for USR if I was breeding Alterna. <laughs> yeah, and not all of them are that bad, but I mean they they are pretty tough because they're lizard feeders primarily, and you know, and I mean they're they're hard to come by. I mean you don't just go out collecting them and and find them. You know, I mean they're subterranean and nocturnal, and so therefore you don't you don't see a whole lot of them. But uh, yeah. you know, depending on where you go, there's there's some places better than others, but but I just wanted to let you know the Christmas mountain. I was, I was curious. That's why I was curious if you got them, if you actually came out hunting and caught them, because that is the spot. They're black gap. Yeah, I, I'm going to have to do that one day here soon. I, I, so far, just Arizona and California are all I get to do. Well, if you ever come this way, just give me a shot, because we can do it for sure. I, I know where to go. I just might take you up on that. Do that. I've got a buddy of mine awesome. lives in Fort Davis that probably caught more alternas than anybody I know, and he's out of it now. He 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 just does rattlesnakes. He's got a little rattlesnake museum there, but but yeah, he had about man, I don't remember how many rosy boas that he had 15 years ago, different localities because you know we used to keep all that stuff pretty pretty pure. You know we wouldn't breed alternas if they didn't come you know within the same road cut or you know mile marker or whatever, you know, trying to keep the genetics pretty clean in the old days. And today they just breed them, you know. But, but yeah, the rosy bowls yeah. are cool. I, I really like those as well. Yeah, yeah, I'm having a blast with them. They're, uh, 
yeah, everything about Python is in a lot of ways, but the added benefit of being uh, something different and, you know, a little bit more aggressive and a little smaller. I mean, just kind of yeah. like the sweet spot right now for me. And I, I'm enjoying them. Although inherent, I just, I'm definitely more of a lizard guy than a snake guy. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I love snakes. I enjoy snakes. But uh, geckos and lizards are a lot more fun for me on a daily basis because you get that personality and the display cages. And... Right. Mm. Yeah. Right. Uh, you definitely got some beautiful lizards, too. I love the frilled dragons. And, sure. Um, oh, Thank I, mean, you. I, I love just following your page, too, and, you know, seeing the amazing things that you post for sale and uh, just, just great stuff. Jordan, absolutely. Well, I know you have uh, I know you have a, a party to get back to tonight, a birthday party, and I don't want to tie you up all night, but um, I want to thank you for coming on the show with us, and I'd like to also offer you this chance to leave our listeners with any closing remarks that you'd like to to make and uh, give out your uh, your plugs. Oh well, I I just appreciate you having me on and helping support RACA, which is in turn helping US Arc, and if anybody wants to, I. Love to see them hop on racket.net, grab a raffle ticket or ten, and help out US Arc in the process, and maybe win a cool prize. So, thanks again for having Absolutely. me on, and you guys have a nice evening. All right, thanks, thanks for everything you're doing, Jordan. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Jordan. Happy to do my part. Thanks, guys. Take care. All right, later. Bye. All right. Uh, well, folks, we got to take a, a sponsor break. We're about 20 minutes late for that. I want to get that done. And then uh, the rest of the show, I'm going to open up the phone lines. And uh, Daryl and I are going to have an interesting discussion about genes. We're going to talk about eclipses. We're going to talk about um, codoms and a lot of different things uh, related to leopard geckos. So we want to open up the lines for you guys to call in with your questions tonight. We're going to help you out if you guys have anything you want to talk about. Um, completely up to you. The topics are wide open. Uh, just hang tight and we will be right back. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. Gecko Nation Radio is sponsored by Ohio Gecko is famous for amazing tangerines, snows, and other very unique leopard gecko projects. Thad also has some incredible fat tail morphs available from stingers to starbursts. Visit him online at ohiogecko.com and at expos in the northeast. He is also the owner of geckoforums.net. Dale's Bearded Dragons is your one-stop source for any reptile supply products that you may need from Exoterra, Zoomed, Rapashi, Repcal, Fluker, and much, much more. And all at 20 to 50% cheaper than your local pet store or big chain pet store. They are also the biggest reptile supply distributor at most of the Northeast Expos. Contact them directly online at dalesbeardeddragons.com or message me on Facebook and I'll put you in touch with the owner. Supreme Gecko is a great source for crested geckos, day geckos, and other species, including micro geckos. Wally Kern is a top-notch breeder and gecko enthusiast. Visit SupremeGecko.com for his available animals and supplies. Gecko Boa Reptiles is your source for the highest quality leopard gecko morphs and wild types, from white and yellows to radars, amazing tremper morphs, and rare subspecies. John is a world-class breeder and extremely knowledgeable. If you're looking for something truly special in geckos, contact John Scarborough at GeckoBoa.com and on Facebook. Rainbow Mealworms is the largest worm grower in the world and selling to the public since 1956. 
If you need the highest quality mealworms, superworms, and crickets for your pets, contact them at www.rainbowmealworms.net. That's right, folks. Rainbow Mealworms. We love Rainbow Mealworms. Jillian Spence has done so much great things for our community. All right. We bring back Daryl. Daryl, you with me, bud? I'm with you, buddy. All right, cool. we got a caller on the line. Caller from the 646 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hey, guys. This is Hector. Um, I've got a question because tonight's topic has been really, really interesting. And, mm-hmm. you know, based on how things are going, what do you guys see the venomous community going within the next decade or so? Because I'm not a venomous keeper myself, but... You know, I really do enjoy seeing these venomous snakes, and it would be really horrible if, you know, if we couldn't keep them anymore. I agree. Um, well, let Daryl let Darryl go first on that one. What do you think, Daryl? Man, I, I don't know. I, you know, I, I agree with y'all. They're they're I, a special person has to, you know, keep them. I mean, it takes a special person to keep them. I guess is my my point to do it safely and correctly but they are intriguing and and everybody loves looking at them and it's so wide open i mean i think you're gonna you're gonna see it in some places where they're gonna lose the ability to get to keep them and and other places are not and uh you know it goes back to people signing these petitions and getting their voice out to where you know the 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 squeaky wheel gets the oil so to speak if we can get enough people talking about it and getting on board and then we might could get them to change their stance on it but I, I don't know to be honest with you I think I think some places will probably end up losing it and some won't yeah I would have to agree with Daryl for the most part on that and also I think I'd add that um, whatever it is right now I'm going to offer my opinion here and you know it may not be the most popular one um, but I believe that with the case with venomous animals, um, I believe there should be a little bit more, uh, what's the word for it, more scrutiny put on the buyers, okay? Uh, yeah. The normal, the normal person that can just go and, you know, get a, uh, a you know, a, a whatever, you, I mean, some of the cobras and even the rhino vipers and the gaboons, I mean... A lot of people are just not responsible enough for that. And, and but, but I would say that most of them are. Most of them respect the snakes. Yeah, and, I agree with you, but, David. Yeah, but there's no way to tell. You know, I mean, accidents always happen. I mean, I lose geckos here. They they hop out and escape sometimes. So I know I don't trust myself with venomous. I would love to have a... Me and Daryl were just talking the other night. I would love to have a rhino, <laughs> a viper, and a gaboon, but... Jeez, yeah, I don't there's trust so myself. many beautiful, beautiful venomous snakes, but you know, a lot of them are really dangerous. And you know, like you said earlier about the live feeding videos, when you go on YouTube, you can see a lot of videos of people playing with venomous snakes. And sure. you know, when these videos are seen by all these other people, you know, a lot of kids think, oh, why not ask my parents for one of these, or why not, or why shouldn't I get one of these? This guy's playing with it; it's not doing nothing to him. Maybe it won't do nothing to me. And, you know, that's what I think is causing a lot of trouble in the community, also with these venomous reptiles. Because I feel that the people who do have them, 
should make it known that these animals should not be toyed around with, that, they're, that they can be very dangerous. They are very beautiful animals, don't get me wrong. I'm not against venomous keeping whatsoever. I think people should be allowed to keep them. But I think that, you know, this people is a, should a, make you know, it. You're, you're right. And you know what else should be implemented? Some kind of a training program where um, you have to go through yeah. a series of courses to receive some type of a license. Yeah. And a permit. Yeah, it should then, be more regulated. Exactly, and, and I agree with that. And you know what? That's going to be overall benefit. That's going to benefit the animals too, because then yeah, it's going to benefit the, the community. The serious, It'll benefit everyone as a whole. Exactly, and the more serious and committed people are going to be the actual ones buying the snakes, because you know what? The knuckleheads, once they see that they have to go through this, that, and the other thing to get them, they're not going to want to do all that. And yeah. so that's going to weed the, the knucklehead collector out of the whole. Uh, mix completely. So, no, you know, that's an excellent topic, Hector. So I want to thank you for, for bringing that to us tonight. Yeah, no problem, Dave. Okay, you have any other All questions right. for us? No, that was just it. And one more thing was the, the collecting wild animals thing. That's another thing that I thought, you know, the wild imports. I think that if people were more responsible with importing these wild animals, we wouldn't have these issues, you know, we wouldn't have so much scrutiny put on the people who actually want to buy these wild imports. Like, you know, I, I'm, I know you guys are aware of it, and, you know, for those out there who aren't aware of it, a lot of these animals that are imported from the wild, they're kept in cages, they're crammed. A lot of them, you know, aren't fed for days until they're brought to the U.S. and all these other countries. I think that if more responsible people were collecting these animals from the wild, we wouldn't have that issue. And, right. you know, that's just something I thought well, I, I and should it, get and out it, And it boils down, if, if if the guys overseas who are collecting these animals and keeping them in horrific conditions, and not all of them are, but you're right, most of them are, if it wasn't such a moneymaker, you know, if they wouldn't, if there wasn't the market for them, they wouldn't do it. Yeah. You know, that, that's the other thing. I mean, and, and let me tell you, it's a whole lot better today importing exporting or however you want to look at it, bringing in wild-caught animals. It's better today than it was 20, 30 years ago. It was, yeah, it was I, terrible, terrible, terrible back in the old days. And it still is to a certain extent in some places, but but they've, yeah, they've cut was, down a whole lot on that. I think if it was regulated a bit more and, you know, all these major cor- all these major companies such as pet stores and stuff that buy these wild imports, if they refuse to buy from the people who aren't responsible with the animals, I think we'd have, you know, higher quality wild imports being brought in. And, you know, we wouldn't have all these dead animals coming in and, you know, that wouldn't be an issue. But unfortunately, you know, it's it's where the money is. The money's what talks. And, you know, yeah, well, follow the money. That's, gonna, always, that's always the, the ticket, follow the money. You can figure yeah, it out. all these big pet chain stores, you know, they're, they're not going to go for the, for the better quality, more expensive animals, whatever they can get for the cheapest, it's what they, it's what they're gonna buy. And you know that sounds horrible, but it's it's the honest truth. Yeah, and I would also say that in an ideal scenario, um, we should be able to figure out exactly um, who's breeding what in the U.S. and find you know find responsible people that can take these wild imports and establish uh, captive breeding programs here in the U.S. so that we can stop taking them in the first place out of the wild. Yeah, that is like you know, with tokays and all of these golden geckos and all of these, you know, cheaper animals that can be easily acquired. There's a lot of people 
captive breeding them. Like, I'm personally working on captive breeding tokens just to, you know, yes. I, it's, I know it's a small amount that I'm producing, but I feel like those, you know, 10, 20 tokens that I can produce a year will, you know, help reduce the stress on all these wild imported tokens that are going into pet stores. Everybody <laughs> should grab a, one of these. I call them throwaway species, and that's exactly how they're viewed by these collectors. Yeah. And, I, and I think everybody out there that has a collection of more exotic animals should basically pick one of these throwaway species, work with them, just for the fun of it. And because you know what? Yeah, Someday, because it, it doesn't have to be about the money always. Years, well, yeah. and in five or ten years when they do cut off the importation, they won't be such throwaway animals anymore and they'll be worth big bucks. So you can yeah. look at it from that perspective too. That little golden gecko that's $7 today, if they cut off importation, you, but you can bet that gecko is going to be a coveted animal. No, I totally agree. And with more captive breeding, you know, we can more morphs will eventually pop up. Because with all these wild importations, you know, no one can say that none of these animals is carrying a hat for something. Right. Because, oh, yeah. Well, yeah, and even in a normal form, they're beautiful. But, yeah, you never, you know, you never know. It could be all kinds of new morphs and stuff. Yeah, we you know, just anyone out there, if you buy that one golden gecko for $7, that what, that golden gecko might turn out to be hep for albino or just anything out there. You know, you never know. That, you know, this, this is how we got all these mutations. Almost everything out there was, you know, eventually a wild, was a essentially a wild import or a wild import that was hep for something, you know? So, right. you know, that that's definitely a good tip for all of the breeders out there, you know, Take on a small project, you know, even though it's a, like Dave said, a throwaway animal, which is, you know, it's sad that they have to be called that, but that's how people see them. You know, take on a small project, you know, because you never know, that small project might turn out to be something really big. Yes, that's true. I know. And we're going to see, we're going to see that. So you're going to work on the toe case? Yeah. I'm going to, I haven't figured out what I'm doing. Actually, I have a few. I have uh, some flying geckos. I have um, some, oh, uh, really some toe case. Yeah, and I have, uh, what else do I have? I have, um, what do you call the white line, the skunk geckos. I like them, too. Oh, man, yeah, I love so. them, yeah. Yeah, and, and they're fun. You know, they cost me a lot of money, but I, they're beautiful, and they're very interesting. So, yeah, I think yeah. everybody should do that. And, I, and I've seen other breeders that I know that are working with stuff like that, so it, it's happening um, little by little, though, you know? Yeah. So, yeah, all right, so cool, it, it was good having your, a conversation with you guys. And, you know, you got some great questions. Yeah, definitely. All, All right. right. We'll, we'll have you back on again. Thanks, Hector. All right, yeah. Thanks, Hector. All right, Daryl, let's go ahead and take this other call. we got a caller from the 508 area code. You are live on Gecko Nation Radio. Hi, this is Rachel. Hey, Hi, Rachel. Rachel. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well tonight. I've been uh, very interested in the discussion that's going on. So oh, I have a question what you, for you, you guys. To, what do you think? Sure. Um, I really strongly believe that the mainstreaming you're talking about needs to happen for us to get, you know, more political momentum in protecting our mm-hmm. rights to own these exotic pets. We really need to get mm-hmm. a lot more people into it from all walks of life. So, right. so how do we do that? In, what do you think? Yeah, exactly. What do you think is the best <laughs> method as us? So even if small people in small communities don't know a lot of other people who keep herps, what are the best yeah. ways we can help mainstream it? I have some ideas. Um, first, I'd like to give credit where credit's due. Um, you guys want to listen to Brian Barchek's episode. It's 
it's been downloaded more than any other one of our shows. I think it's like I don't even know how many thousands of downloads already. But um, Brian, as you guys know, is doing Animal Bites TV, and Brian said on live on the air that he spends a lot of time talking to people that are not in the reptile community because, you know, as he was saying, and as all of you guys know, the reptile community is about twenty thousand strong, hardcore people, and then there's probably 100,000 others that are fly-by-nights, or they just don't have a lot of animals. They're not as involved. But um, the key is, Rachel and everybody, is to, you know, educate people that have no experience with reptiles and expose them in a positive way to some of these animals. So giving, you know, somebody that does a lot of public presentations is is Justin Geyer from Herpentine Radio, and uh, what I would suggest is, Number one, to find maybe a uh, 4-H reptile club, herpetology club, or uh, maybe a group in your area, and if there isn't one, start one. And um, try to find, I don't care, you don't want to just start walking around town with your leopard gecko on your shoulder either, because <laughs> that's just, just going to scare people. But you're, you're right, Rachel. There needs to be a concerted effort to, um, you know, figure out ways to expose the general public to these animals in a positive way that will spark interest in some of them. Now, I know how I'm doing it, and the way I'm doing it is on my YouTube channel. And it seems I hit on something pretty amazing with my one video. It's called How to Convince Your Parents to Let You Have a Leopard Gecko. And basically, it's exposing kids to leopard geckos in a positive way. And it's got 110,000 views, but... Um, it's, and I use that video to draw people to my pages, to the group, and that's why we're getting a lot of people joining the Gecko Nation group. Yeah, I'm going to use that video the best I can because the young people are the ones that have a lot of excitement for this. And it's going to be that younger generation that gets the initial, oh, I want that, right? And then their parents go and get it for them. And then sooner, enough, sooner or later, the parents are falling in love with these animals. And then they're their family members see them, and then, oh, I want to get one now. And then their friends see one, and that's how it's going to happen. So I would say, Rachel, if you're looking into getting into these and other people listening, try to get yourself out there as best you can. Get a, Start a YouTube channel, start a Facebook page, Instagram, and just start showing off your animals and your enthusiasm for them. And Daryl is a perfect example of somebody that's doing that. He's starting all the necessary things to, you know, just – get his brand known and start promoting himself. So, um, Steve, what do you think, Daryl? Do you have anything to add to that? No, I think you're right. I mean, it starts, you know, I, I think most people think, you know, it doesn't pertain to me when maybe it doesn't right now, but it's going to. And I, I think you're right. you gotta, you got to get started at, at the local level, and, and it's got to spread. It's got to, you know, because most people don't, don't even realize what's going on, you know. Um, yeah. So yeah, education is is the key, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Rachel, yeah, I Rachel, think social media is a great platform for that. Yeah, social media. You know, um, um, you know, what's that old saying? Uh, six degrees of separation or whatever. You know, I mean, social media is great, and if you can get everybody on board, you know, that that's wonderful. I mean, and, that, and that's what it's going to take. I mean, we got to get everybody fighting the same fight on the same page. And how we yeah. do that, well, I don't know. But I, yeah, I, I think you just got to start. I mean, you just got to do it. 
like you say, you see, you know, parents whose kids have grown up, they're now into geckos because their kids had geckos. Or, you know, a good example is my grandmother just wanted us to get a crested gecko. She saw them. I was, like, going online, and I was showing her some pictures, and she's like, you know, that's awesome. And it's just one of those things where I think that the things like the leopard geckos and the crested geckos and ball pythons, I mean, they're, they're basically gateway species. You know, it gets people to take a look at them and go, oh, that's kind of cute. You know, maybe snakes and lizards aren't scary as I thought. And, you know, next thing you know, they're looking at the larger snakes going, well, that's not that scary, you know. So I think it's it's getting there. You know, it's a lot, yeah. definitely a lot more prevalent than it was when I was a lot younger. So. Well, what do you think, Rachel, um, to my comments earlier about, you know, it possibly becoming mainstream and, you know, some, what do you think about herpetoculture? Do you think we're going to make it? Do you think we're going to push through and keep it? Yeah, I do, and I I think that it needs to be, we need to become a little more of a community, you know, don't be snobs, you know, you're not, I'm not into snakes personally, but, you know, I'll still go look at snakes, still friend people who do snakes and take a look and go, oh, that's awesome, you know, it's, we're all in the same boat, you know, mm -hmm. no, not a, a little skip and a jump from the large snakes down to the little lizards, so. <laughs> right. right, you're absolutely right, that's a good point, once they take the big snakes, they're going to come after the other stuff, it seems, so. Yeah. Well, awesome. Thank you so much for calling in, Rachel. Do you have anything else you want to mention? Um, no. No. I barely enjoyed listening, though. Thanks, guys. Oh, Thanks, awesome. Rachel. Thank you for calling in. Okay. All right, Daryl. Let's, uh, let's talk a little bit about what we were talking about earlier. Now, um, you know, actually, there's a couple things I'd like to ask you right off the bat. Uh, you know, you're a, you're a new guy coming back into the community and to the hobby, and from your perspective, what are you seeing as some of our strengths in the community and some of our shortcomings, some of our problems, from your perspective? Strengths are, you know, is is there's lots of information out there. It's easier to do it than ever before, being buying an animal, getting feeder animals, raising an animal. All the information is out there and, and at your fingertips, so... You know that's the strength. I mean, the, the the growth potential is is wonderful for the reptile industry, and I mean, I think you're seeing it. I think that's why you're seeing more and more reptile shows. I think that's why you're seeing more and more people on Facebook having their their online business, so to speak. And then, you know, the bigger guys are doing well and and marketing themselves worldwide, not just at your local. Uh, reptile show so to speak so i think as far as that that's that's the strength and i mean the you know uh being able to communicate easier with people around the globe to ask questions and, and get information is great the downfall is is just like always you've got some people out there that are doing it for the wrong reasons i mean you know if you're looking at getting into ball pythons or corn snakes or leopard geckos or whatever and think you're going to become a millionaire overnight, it's not going to happen. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there's 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 pitfalls in anything that you want to do, you know, and it all boils down to <clears throat> do it because you love what you're doing. Don't do it because you think you're going to get rich, you know. I mean, if you do, great. I mean, so be it. You work hard, you put in the time and effort, you'll probably succeed, but it's not going to be one of these, oh, I'm going to go out and buy eight or ten animals and boom, I'm, you know, on Forbes 500 list or whatever. 
not going to happen. But that's the thing. People, you know, there's, there's always, like we were talking about earlier, there's always people on the fringes that's going to make it difficult for the many. You know, one bad apple ruins the whole bushel. But And, and you got to learn how to navigate that. But I, I think that's the the biggest problem is, is the the bad seeds that are out there. Yeah, well, I think it's a that's a fact of life, and I mean that's just true. Any, anything we do, sure. you know. But yeah, um, it's, you know, I, and, it's not just in the reptile game. It's it's like you say, it's life in general. Anything you do, right. you're going to have those. But and you just got to learn how to maneuver through that sea of. Well, Evil. Mediocrity. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. That's what I call it. Well, exactly. from what I can tell yeah. on Facebook, it seems to be that what it's developing into is basically little strategic wars on wars for public perception and basically people trying to, um, you know, sway people in different directions. And it's, it's like a it's a plethora of mind games. It's a, it can be exhausting. Uh, what, you know, when sure. you first get into Facebook, you don't really notice what it is. And, it looks like just a bunch of people having fun, but when you when you get to see it and when you get to follow it for a while, it's really you, you get to see what's actually happening. And there's like I don't know what else to call people. Like there are some really serious people that just are just spend a lot of energy like trying to with their words trying to just change public perception. And, and I don't know. It's just to me, it's insanity. It really is. Um, I've, I've been actually just trying to figure out ways to keep my Facebook um, activity to what's important and positive, and um, and not even get involved with you know people that are trying to you know play those kinds of games and stuff. It's, you know, it's just not what I'm in it for. But right, you know. But I see a lot of new people coming into Facebook, and I'm like, oh no, you don't know what you're getting into. <laughs> And, you know, some of them are just are handling it great, and, um, you know, some of them are not lasting too long. Like, we've had uh, very few issues in the Gecko Nation group, thank God. Everybody right. in that group, you guys are awesome and doing such a great job and being helpful and everything. Um, but, you know, we've had to boot a couple people because they're, you know, like a new person would come in and have a newbie type of question, and it seems like in other groups, that's an opportunity for people that are just a day smarter or, you know, than the others to pounce yeah. on them with information and basically belittle them because they don't know this, they don't know that. I mean, it's just, I see the way they twist the words and it's like, oh my God, like seriously, yeah. you're going to help this person or you're just going to make them feel terrible. And we don't want that to happen. Yeah, what I think, is, what I think is funny is whenever you see the person that's doing the bashing was asking the questions a month ago. Right, exactly. It's crazy. Yeah. Yes, and it's it's like a power trip, and and you know it's mostly yeah. younger people that younger minds, but um, you know it's in order for someone to progress, I guess emotionally they have to experience getting the boot and say, all right, well that's not allowed here, that's not good, that's not how we do things. Right. But um, yeah, you know it is it is what it is. I don't. Let's talk about the eclipse gene. We were talking a little bit about that earlier, Daryl, and you, you know you have some interesting. You know, why don't you explain that you're no dummy when it comes to <laughs> genetics? You know what's going on with genetics, right? <laughs> well, you know? I've studied it. Let me put it that way. Years and years ago, 
I'm having to go back and dig through the gray matter and, and uh, you know, rethink some things. And then you go from from strict teachings and education on genetics to genetics and leopard geckos, and they just don't jihai all the time. But, mm-hmm. you know, so anyway, it's it's difficult. I mean, genetics is a tough game anyway for most people to comprehend, um, you know, but then whenever you throw in some of the misinterpretations that we're using, it even makes it more difficult. So, but... The eclipse gene is cool. I, I I like it. I like I like looking at it and seeing what it does, and and uh, I like it. So well, this is the way. What what I and I guess we should we should ask Matt this personally. But Matt supposedly um, strategically decided to um, I guess the word is reverse engineer the eclipse when when. Uh, when Ron came out with it shortly after, they wanted to figure out exactly how it was created. So the way I understood it is Matt took jungles, bred jungles together. Then he took the stripes that were created from those jungles, bred the stripes together. Then he started getting reverse stripes, so he bred the reverse stripes together. Then, of course, from that, you get patternless stripes. And when you breed those together, you start hitting on an eye pigment trait, which is the eclipse gene. Now, now to me, that seems like I mean, I, I, maybe I don't have a full grasp on how stripes work, and a lot of people find it difficult to understand. It's supposedly a polygenic. If that's the case, right. how do you, from a polygenic standpoint, how do you then become, how do you then I get the eclipse gene, which is a recessive, um, from from that? I mean, it's almost like line breeding for it, and then all of a sudden it turns into a recessive. It's very confusing for me yeah, to grasp I, the whole concept. <sighs> I would have to to fully understand it, you know. I mean, you'd have to know what Matt was doing, but I mean, you either I don't know exactly how he what he was trying to do. I mean, I hear what you're saying, but but not it doesn't work that it's not that simple. I guess is my is the best way to put it. You know, with the eclipse gene being a recessive trait, you know, I mean, he didn't—he didn't just make a recessive trait by doing all that. It was there somewhere. You had to find it, and that's the thing with traits—is—is is they're there. Um, now, whenever you know, you, that's another thing that confuses everybody when you start talking about recessive traits and dominant traits, and then polygenetic—you know, line breeding traits. Well, line breeding is really not a genetic trait. It is, but you're fine-tuning that through selective breeding. You're not. You're not getting to it by gene transferal, so to speak. I mean, you are, but it's in a roundabout way. So with the mm-hmm. eclipse gene being a recessive gene, you have to have it. It has to be somewhere. You can't make it from scratch. You know, it's not like going and making a cake from scratch. You know, you have to have that gene somewhere. And, you know, obviously Ron found it first, and obviously... It's in his tripper gene somewhere, and he just uncovered it. He was the first to uncover it. Now, where did it come from originally? Who knows? I mean, it's I, I, I don't know. I can't answer that. I know it. It had to come out of the albino side somewhere or another. I would guess, being mm-hmm. how how he had the albino, and then he bred the albino into nearly everything, you know, 
and then started narrowing. You know, you, you cast a big wide net first. You get out there real big, get the gene spread out, and then you start narrowing things back down, and that's whenever you start popping out different stuff. Now, I, I don't know without talking with Matt to see what, you know, he, he'd have to explain it a little bit more to me to, but he, ha- he obviously yeah. had to have the gene somewhere somewhere in his stock. He had to have the Eclipse gene as well, and he and he uncovered it. Maybe the same way Ron did, but he had to have it. Yeah. So, my well, opinion, without talking to him. <laughs> it's it's interesting. It really is. Um, well, we're gonna. Why don't we give Matt a call and see if uh, see if he's around to answer the question? I'm gonna, okay. Let's. Yeah, I'm gonna try to give him a call here. All right. One second. I like this call feature that we have. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool. All right. Eat. Might as well hear it right from the horse's mouth, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm curious, yeah, because, you know, I know that that Ron, you know, talked a lot with, with his old partner about it. I know that. Yeah, I, maybe I gotta use the number one first. Mhm. Yeah, I'd be curious to see. Ah, uh, uh, some reason it's not working. Hold on, let me just make sure I got it right. Oh, <laughs> I got a number backwards. My bad. <laughs> yeah, you gotta put in the right number, Dave. Yeah, yeah, I got it. Okay, here we go. <laughs> Okay, well, is it going to work or what? <laughs> <laughs> One more try. Try to get it right. One more try, yeah. Uh, maybe, What's hey, more? Let me see if I can text text him and see if he can call in real quick. Okay. But the other thing that's intriguing to me is the white and yellow gene. How, it, you know, is it dominant? Is it co-dominant? Is ah, That really really baffles me the way it comes across and doesn't doesn't transfer and I don't know. I'd really I'd really like to sit down. I know Matt deals with it a lot. I'd like to sit down and drink a beer with him sometime and just pick his brain and really get to the bottom of nuts and bolts of that. Well, we did the best we could um you know on on his episodes. It was pretty yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I listen to that. Yeah, I listen to that, but still, I, I, I there think there's a little that, more to it. Yeah, there are people that feel that the, the white and yellow gene is a, a codon, or, you know, that there's a double copy white and yellow. And I don't know. But what I do see is there are some well, really subtle, subtle ones. All right, here he is. He's on the line. Hey, Matt, thanks for giving us a minute of your time tonight. How's it going? Oh, not too bad, Dave. How's it going? Good. Hey, Matt. Daryl and I were uh, were talking here about the Eclipse gene, and I, I mentioned that you had basically reverse-engineered it at one point, and you wanted to basically figure out exactly how it was made. And you were telling me how you did it, and I don't understand how the Eclipse gene can be a recessive if it kind of came from polygenics being line-bred. I mean, is that do I have a good grasp on what you did? Or what happened? Um, what all that? There, there's, there's basically two different ways to to create it. 
um, basically it's it, it can be a recessive once it's already um, already uh, expressed, um, but mm-hmm. to get it you know the original way, it's basically taking uh, reverse stripe to stripe, crossing those two together, getting the patternless stripe looking animals. Um, once you get the patternless stripe looking animals, uh, crossing those back to each other, um, that's whenever the eye pigmentation can pop out. Okay. Hmm. It can pop out. So, but it's not guaranteed then, right? I mean, uh, it's, it's not necessarily guaranteed, but I mean, if, if you see like a patternless stripe looking animal for sale anywhere, it's almost like, I mean, it, I would consider that head for Eclipse um, more than anything, and it usually proves out to be head Eclipse every time you see one of those. Um, it's just, okay. you know, it, it's just kind of the progression of uh, of stripes in a way. Um, you know, you, you almost could look at it as uh, like a super stripe in a way, um, where it's, you know, it's it's basically like the the last step of it. I mean, the, the progression is basically uh, banded to aberrant, to jungle, to stripe, to reverse stripe, to patternless stripe, and then, then the eye, eye pigmentation starts to pop out. And then wow, once the okay. And then once eye pigmentation I, actually pops out, then it actually recesses. Why does it take, uh, there's probably no answer, you can't answer it, but that's confusing to me. Why does it take getting all the way down to the patternless reverse stripe before the eye pigmentation kicks in? Uh, it's, it's not the patternless reverse stripe. It's the patternless stripe. Patternless um, stripe? Yeah, it's, it's basically like uh, whenever you have a stripe and a reverse stripe showing on the same animal, it basically right. cancels out all pattern and it just looks like a solid orange animal in the background or, you know, a solid colored animal basically. Um, right. And that is basically what, you know, Ron originally called the afters was these, you know, solid colored animals that were, um, which a lot of people didn't realize that those were actually the hets for raptors before raptors were actually, um, you know, introduced. Right. Okay. All right. Hmm. <laughs> so and then, yeah, I, I mean, we... I mean, we basically, uh, well, Alberto basically uh, reverse engineered it from um, basically like stripes and reverse stripes from jungle giants crossed to red stripes and then crossed those back to each other and produced uh, eye pigmentation animals without using raptor and eclipse. And they proved genetically exactly the same thing whenever they were crossed to raptors and eclipses. And they didn't have so it in them to begin with. No, they didn't have them in there to begin with. Or at least not to any of our knowledge. It was in there. Um, I mean, were they tremper? Were they tremper animals to begin with? Um, some of them were tremper animals. Yes. So I mean, it could have been oh, yeah. you know a gene that is in there somewhere. But to get the gene to express, I mean, you couldn't just have yeah. a banded raptor at that point. Um, once right. you once you actually express the gene that was in the eye. Um, that's whenever you could have it in with uh, any other uh, patterned animal after that, and we we really yeah. So saw you just that. did the, you just did the same thing that Ron did with Tripper. So the gene was probably already hidden there somewhere. Um, and then you you it, you, it, you, it, it, you it's really it's really hard to say because he you know Ron said that he wasn't releasing anything out of that project. 
And, I mean, we had animals that were, um, you know, two or three generations before the raptor and eclipse right. actually happened. Um, so, right. I mean, it, it, it's all possible because, I mean, you know, anything's possible because a lot of animals in captivity have come from bronze animals. So exactly. There might be yeah, David and I have discussed there. that before. Yeah, yeah most, there, there might be genetic, genetics in there that just haven't popped out even in Ron's facility. I mean, anything right. is possible with mutations. I mean, uh, I mean look at the, the, the marble eye. I mean, it, it's, it's totally different than a raptor slash eclipse radar typhoon, um, and it popped out of Tremper gene animals. So sure. to have two different eye pigmentations popping out of the same strain of albino, too, is kind of, you know, super crazy. Well, it's well. like we talked about before. You know, you you could have easily missed that one, and there's no telling how many times it was missed prior to that. Exactly. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. yeah. I mean, exactly. then, you know, that's, that's why you have to look at each animal very, very closely, see if there's any weirdness to any of them, and, sure. um, you know, breed for that. I mean, you know, I, I get at least, uh, a handful of weird looking animals every year and right. they always get held back and they always get bred back to one of the parents depending on if they're male or female just to see if it is genetic or anything like that like um, sure. the, the the big example for that is um, the, the animal that I call weird one that my um, you know my profile picture is and my avatar and you know the, the main uh, picture for Sathobic reptiles um, a lot of people yeah. think that that's a marbled eye animal, but it's actually not. It's actually a first-generation marble eye cross to Montana that it just hatched out super, super weird, had weird eye pigmentation and everything. Um, and right. It actually never proved out to be genetic at all. Um, but it was right. a crazy, weird-looking animal that you would think to be that different, it would be genetic, but it, it actually proved out not to be genetic. Um, it proved out like het marble eye, of course, because it was a het marble eye, but it, uh, right. you know, it was never able to be reproduced at all. Um, same thing can be said for, um, if, you know, people that follow my page, I have two super snows, two super snows that, uh, are actually, uh, highly paradox animals with a lot of yellow pigmentation to them as well. And, um, most of the time, whenever they're crazy paradox like that they won't be able to breed and I have a male and a female and they were able to breed and everything that hatched from them is just plain super snows with no paradoxing at all um, so it's you know it's, some of the genetics are very very strange some of them are um, you know what the Europeans call oddballs where they what? are totally weird and unusual but never able to be reproduced um, and then other things are able to be reproduced. Um, so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things that if you ever have something super weird, you always have to try to prove it out to see if, one, it can be reproduced, and two, how the reproduction of it actually works, if it's recessive, if it's dominant, if it's line bred, stuff like that. So did I understand you correctly when you were talking just then, talking about paradox spotting, that... Some of those are lethal? Uh, not lethal. Um, some of them are what's called a chimera, which are basically, it, it's almost like two animals that are fused together, but they look, um, they have parts of different animals. Like uh, m most of them are 50-50 animals where they're literally split down the middle. 
Um, probably the most famous one that I have is the one that has the albino head. It's actually an albino super snow head with a max snow body. And um, just totally randomly weird. Um, and those ones usually never reproduce. Um, but whenever... Um, but what, just because they are literally two separate animals that are kind of fused together, that's basically the best way to explain it. Um, but then there's also like paradox spotting and paradoxing of, you know, just pigmentation and stuff like that on an animal. Um, and right. those animals can be reproduced. I mean, a lot of uh, white and yellows have paradox spotting. Um, right. You know, some eclipses have paradox spotting on them. Um, you know, there's uh, some of the original enigmas were highly paradoxed as well with certain spotting and stuff like that. Um, I usually try to keep back all of my paradox spotted animals and try to reproduce it, and I've never been able to reproduce it on a consistent level at all. Um, so it's just one of those random things that the animal looks really, really cool, but it's it's typically not reproducible. Um, I know that in Kenyan sandboas, uh, that paradoxing actually is genetic and um, can be reproduced. You'll see like uh, like albinos with paradox spots and snows with paradox spots. Um, that uh, line of paradoxing is actually reproducible. Hmm. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. What do you so think is going on there with the paradox spotting? What do you um, think causes that? I, I think it's just random um, little glitches in DNA basically that causes it. Um, it's it's not really anything to do with like incubation or anything like that. Right. It's it's just random. Um, it's it's kind of like birthmarks on people. That's, yeah, that's what I was going to um, say. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's basically just like that. Like you'll see people that have like you know uh, some of their hair is like white or right. you know they'll have like a you know a larger birthmark on their body somewhere. I mean, that's, that's right. basically what it is. Um, the, you know, Ron even had that uh, animal that had the blue tail. Um, that, right. You know, that, that just turned out to be, you know, a, a weird paradox spotting. Um, right. You know, there's, there's been, you know, quite a few uh, random paradox spotted animals. Um, you know, some look much cooler than others. You know, some spotting right. is very, very small. Some spotting can take up over, like, like half the animal. Um, you know, it's, it's very, very random. Um, I usually collect them just because they look cool. Um, but as far as, like, you know, genetically able to reproduce um, those type of things, it just doesn't happen, typically. I've got a blood emmerine, white and yellow, that I got from Ron, and it has a paradox spot on its right hind foot, which makes it look like it stepped in poop. <laughs> when, it, when it was little, like, I thought... Oh, Oh, yeah. Animal, keep, like, trying to get that off. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I, was, I, I thought, what the heck? So I'm wiping on it. I thought, nope, it's just a paradox spot. So. Yep. Yeah. It's, <laughs> uh, I actually just hatched out an eclipse a couple of days ago, or a couple of weeks ago, I should say, at this point, um, that has, like, a, a black paradox spot on its head. And I think that it's actually wow. going to get, um, you know, pretty crazy looking as it gets older, um, just because it'll it'll have some of that, like, you know, bluish spotting on the head plus the, the black spine. Um, so right. it'll look, uh, look, look, look pretty freaky, I think, um, once it gets a little bit bigger. Wow. Uh, that's cool. All right. I think we're going to get wrap up the show. I'm getting tired here, guys. Uh, hey, Matt, thanks for giving us some of your time tonight on that. I appreciate it. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, no, 
Yeah, no problem. I hope you guys had a great show. Sorry I didn't get to listen to hardly any of it. I was actually hanging out with my family, so. Um, but, Good uh, for you. Okay. Yeah, but, uh, you yeah. know, hope you guys enjoy the rest of your night, and uh, we'll talk to you guys soon. All right. Later. Uh, thanks, Matt. Thanks. Yep, yep. Bye. All right, Daryl. Well, I don't know. I think we did a good job today. What do you say, what do you say bud? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We covered a lot of stuff. Got a lot of information out there. That's always key. And, uh, yeah, Jordan, he's he's got it going on, doesn't he? Oh, he's, he's got, got a lot of stuff, stuff going on. Yeah. Right, I'll give you guys a uh, breakdown of what we got coming up for you. Uh, let's see. Next week we have the Elves Bearded Dragons. We're going to talk about what it's like to run a reptile supply business, one of the best ones around, and, of course, a sponsor of our show. Uh, on, the thir- on the 13th of July, we have John Boone, the king of geckos, of all kinds of strange and exotic geckos, all these interesting um, animals that you see coming around. They probably came from John Boone. So uh, that's going to be an uh, interesting show. I'm going to be, um, my co-host is going to be Joe Hupp. He's going to co-host that show with me. And uh, I figured I'd bring him on board because, yeah, he knows a lot more about these uh, rare species than even I do. So um, I figured I needed somebody a little bit more experienced to help me with that episode. So uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, he'll be a whole lot more talent than me. Yeah, there you go. Good good call. (laughs) And then on um, the 20th, we have a really cool show. We have someone that runs a pet sanctuary, a reptile sanctuary out of her house. Her name is Christina Obrecht. She's very well known. You can look her up on Facebook for uh, Christina's Pets and Christina's Pet Sanctuary. She has alligators and ponds in her house on her front porch is converted into a huge pond for a gator and she's got gator ponds in her basement and outside in her backyard and she's in, in Pennsylvania and just incredible. She's got all kinds of reptiles that she rescues. So we're gonna we're gonna talk to her, and then after that we got Ron Tremper coming on on the 27th. He's got some interesting information to tell us. And the next one cool. is on the third. We have Brian Brakus from Breaking Balls. It's gonna be a good episode all about ball pythons. I think you guys will like that. Uh, let's see. And on the 10th of uh, August we have Don Hamilton from Highwoods Exotics. And oh, we got a whole bunch of more shows coming up. We got a uh, Ray Autry, Keith Kiggins, even Angela Smith from Gamer Geckos. Uh, all kinds of all right. shows coming up for you guys. Yeah, and there's going to be more shows that are just uh, going to be on Tuesday nights, too, that come along as we progress. Because I always leave Tuesdays open for those spare-of-the-moment shows that I you know, can't schedule too far ahead of time. But um, I hope you guys are enjoying everything. I think we're, uh, I think we're doing great. Uh, the show's growing. seems faster than I can keep up with, which is amazing. So uh might have to start hiring some more people to help out if it keeps getting bigger. We'll, we'll see. Uh, the, fa- uh, the website's coming real soon. It's getting set up, so uh, keep an eye out for that, folks, and we're going to try to do something cool with that. But, um, yeah, before we go, Daryl, why don't you give yourself one more plug for your new uh, new operation? Tell everybody about what you're doing. Longhorn Geckos. Uh, that's the new... Uh, father and son business that Kate and I are going to start, and uh, obviously dealing with uh, leopard geckos and all the top quality genes that we've gathered around and wild types. So uh, that's my favorite, actually. But yeah, it's it's uh, it's exciting. We're in the early stages. 
Uh, I'm in the process of building the Facebook page, which you'll be able to find us there, and then going to do a website as well, but hadn't got there yet. But uh, be patient. I'll keep everybody posted, and uh, go Gecko Nation. That's what I say. Awesome. And we'll help you get started, Daryl. Don't worry. We'll help you get a good, good head start out there and uh, promote you as best we can. Make sure everybody knows who you right. are. There awesome. you go. Well, thank you very much. Thank you very much for being here with me tonight. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. I always enjoy it. Uh, I love love visiting and talking about all this good reptile stuff that we do. It's fun and uh, enjoyable. So thanks for having me, and I hope I can do it again sometime. Anytime, Daryl. Thank you. I'll talk to you later. Maybe if you're up later, I'll give you a call. Give me a shot. Okay, peace. All right, folks. Uh, I'm going to play the outro. I'll come back with my closing remarks. Hang tight. Gecko Nation Radio is a David's Fine Gecko's creation and production. You can visit the show's Facebook page at Gecko Nation Radio. I also have a great family-friendly group on Facebook called Gecko Nation. Apply for membership today. The jazz music you heard tonight was generously donated and created by Jeremy Turgeon of J&D Reptiles. Thank you very much, Jeremy, for the great musical pieces. You can check out Jeremy at J&D Reptiles on YouTube and on Facebook. And a very special thank you to our news anchor, graphic designer, and audio tech, Steve Barker. All the graphics, audio sponsor plugs, and music overlays were assembled by Steve. Check out Steve on YouTube at BC Barker Creations. He has some terrific videos for the herb community with amazing geckos and snakes. Please support the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance and U.S. ARC. Gecko Nation Radio is proud to support both of these organizations. Please donate to U.S. ARC so that they have the funds needed to legally protect pet owners' rights nationwide. You can donate to the U.S. ARC Legal Defense Fund at www.usarc.org. If you would also like to learn about advocacy and how you can take action on a state and local level, please subscribe to the U.S. Herpetocultural Alliance newsletter and blog at www.usherp.org. All right, folks. My closing remarks are this. Get your tickets in. Buy those R-A-A-C-A tickets, okay? We're going to post the links on the Gecko Nation Radio Facebook page, okay? And you can go to Jordan Russell's page directly, but he's been posting it all over Facebook. All right, in addition to the U.S. ARC prize, which is huge, you're going to get, if you win, you're going to get all kinds of great stuff from BHP, snakes and uh, cages, uh, rack systems, all kinds of awesome uh, prizes, equal up to, I don't know, I think like 10 grand worth of stuff, but uh, more, maybe even more than that. But uh, in addition to that, if you send me a screenshot from now until the, auction, until the raffle ends this week, at the end of the week, send me a screenshot of your ticket or tickets. Okay, you can send them to getfoundationradio at gmail.com or on Facebook. You can PM it to me. Um, I'm going to enter you into a separate raffle, okay, that you'll be entitled to. The winner is going to win a really cool gecko from my collection, something very nice. And you're also going to get a two-year uh, website with hosting. Okay, it's a $30 a month value plus the hosting from breedersource.com. Okay, that's Jordan Russell's other business. And it's basically a website easily, you know, made for a reptile hobbyist. Okay, you can go check it out, breedersource.com. The layout is very simple to make. It's kind of like 
uh, Weebly in a sense, but just more geared toward reptile owners and uh, breeders, okay? So all you guys that are new, uh, that are just starting out, this will be essential for you, so I hope one of you lucky people will win that. So just send me the screenshot of your ticket that you purchased for the raffle, and uh, we'll enter you into that second one. All right, everybody, uh, I want to thank you all for tuning in tonight, everybody that was in the chat room, and everybody that called in. You guys are awesome. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Um, at this point, I'd like to just mention our sponsors one more time, DaleSpiritOfDragons.com, and uh, check them out at all the Northeast Expos. They have the widest array of reptile uh, supplies, food, uh, supplements, caging, all that stuff, and at 20 to 50% off Head Start prices. So you guys can contact me personally if you guys want to order something special, like an Exoterra or uh, supplement, lighting, bulbs for your dragons, uh, whatever you need. They have it, and they're going to save money. So uh, contact me or them at DalesBeardedDragons.com. ABDragons.com is your source for the best quality Duvia roaches. Okay, so make sure you contact them at ebdragons.com and use the code GECKO, all in caps at checkout, for 5% off. And they also have FlexWatt, too. All right, Gecko Boa Reptiles, John Scarborough, the king of wild types here in the U.S., and he's got a really nice array of all kinds of other morphs, rainwaters, trempers, and bells, and posts and keeps his website updated regularly. Okay, so check out geckoboa.com, folks. And Supreme Gecko, uh, is your source for day geckos, uh, cresties, food for those cresties, um, and all kinds of other supplies that you need. So make sure you check out uh, Supreme Gecko. And I also want to mention for geckoboa.com that he has a code for Gecko Nation. Uh, it's Gecko Nation all in caps, and that's going to give you a discount on your purchase as well. Okay, so check out that. OhioGecko.com, amazing tangerines, snows, fat tails such as Starburst, and all kinds of stingers and other great morphs. Uh, Thad is also the owner and operator of geckoforums.net. So check out OhioGecko.com. RainbowMealworms.net is your source for the best quality mealworms for your feeders. All, almost all of the big-time breeders use Rainbow Mealworms. They have the best in quality and price. That's all I use for my feeders here for my geckos. So check out RainbowMealworms.net. Jillian Spence is a doll to deal with. ReptilesExpress.com is the best and, I don't know, just top-rated top shipping company for your live animal shipments. And they just take care of you in every way with customer service. And they're just awesome to deal with. All the supplies you need. If you guys are new to shipping reptiles, contact Debbie Price at Reptiles Express, and she will help you out. Uh, you can use the code GeckoNation10 for 10% off as well. It's good for two orders. Ron Tremper at LeopardGecko.com, the king of leopard geckos. Nobody's been more instrumental in morph, maybe, morph, excuse me, morph making here in the U.S. for the last 30 years. Okay, so check out Ron Tremper's work at LeopardGecko.com. His book, Leopard Geckos, The Next Generation, is coming back. And so you will be able to get that again and make sure you get it from his website so he can autograph it for you because it will be a collector's item, like his first book. And, of course, GiantLeopardGecko.com. If you want supersized leopard geckos, that's the place to go. Um, really nice colored morphs, all kinds of stuff, fat tails and crusties too. So Keith Kiggins has a wide array of quality animals for you. Check out Le GiantLeopardGecko.com. Uh, MST, MS2 uh, 
Enterprises, the MS2 Premium Chow. That's the best food for your feeder insects. And that's run by the beautiful Marcy Sowers from Alaska. Uh, thank you, Marcy, for giving us the best food for our feeders. You are what you eat, folks. Make sure that your reptiles are eating the best nutritious insects that they can possibly uh, get. All right. Uh, thanks again, folks. And we're going to just take you out with a cool song, a really cool, positive one. And we will see you next week. Thanks for everything. See you in the group declamation, folks. Good night.